the first use case you think about blockchain is payments, right? So that's the first thing you wanna, you wanna do is show that you can secure a payment mechanism just like Visa MasterCard, but much more secure, without middlemen, take away the fees, uh, offers economies of scale, so the more people use it, the cheaper it gets. The, the way we view the future of value in the long term, three to five to 10 years, we view layer one blockchains will essentially become like the new republics. These will be the new mechanisms where all the value is gonna proliferate to the future. There'll be the layer one blockchain, there'll be the mining market, there'll be the dApps, and there'll be tokens. So the lower you get in the stack, the uh, lower risk you have, but the lower rewards. The highest risk reward will be on the layer one blockchain because that's where all the value will, will, will flow up. But it's highest value, highest risk. We view layer one blockchains, which is Bitcoin, Syscoin, Ethereum, as court systems. They need to be combative to the external forces that we don't control, even in the software world. In the real world, like inflation, hyperinflation, wars, these systems need to be secure from that. And this is why we view Bitcoin as the gold standard for security and decentralization. What else does the world need? You know, what else does the world cherish when you have something like Bitcoin? How can we extend that to something else where we can take advantage to build real world utility? This is where Ethereum comes in. For me, Ethereum is a gold standard for flexibility or general computation. We're trying to stick to the gold standards. We know the world's gonna cherish and, and develop on and we put those two concepts together. And this is what Syscoin is. What's up, people? We back. For those not familiar, I am. Welcome, 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 welcome. Shout out to my sponsor, Syscoin, best of Bitcoin and best of Ethereum for people looking to build on the blockchain. One of the most superior blockchain technologies you can find on the internet. It's not handling or dealing in any scams. <laughs> Check out Syscoin. Go to hotepjesus.com. Find the Syscoin logo. It should be right there at the top of your screen. Right below my image, you'll see the Syscoin logo. Hit that logo. It's going to bring you to a page to discuss and explain what syscoin is about how you can get involved how you can start building technology on a syscoin blockchain fill out that form somebody from syscoin will reach out to you they're incentivized to do so because it is obviously in their best interest once again that's hotepjesus.com slash syscoin or you can hit the syscoin uh, logo on the screen fill out the form and start building on the best of bitcoin and the best of ethereum now today's presentation is very interesting um for those that are familiar with um my channel you know i wrote the book the patriot report unmasking the conspiracy of money and war and one of the great themes in this book is showing you the various events of how the central banks and the manipulators behind them have uh you know, for legal purpose, let me say, have uh, potentially um, created financial calamities in order to capitalize on them, potentially, allegedly, right? So my book discusses so that they can come in and bring about more regulation, you know, the Hegelian dialect uh, strategy, you know, you create the problem, therefore you can be the person to provide the solution. 
Um, shout out to all my um, super chatters on YouTube. Shout out to everybody tuning in on Rumble. Um, why is it saying waiting for stream on Rumble? Um, hold on a second. Let me just make sure the Rumble stream is up. Okay, cool. I think the Rumble stream. Hey, Rumble, give me a type of Hotep in a box if the Rumble stream is up. Type Hotep in a box if the Rumble stream is up. I know sometimes. Okay, yeah, we're good on Rumble. Okay, wonderful. Now, the reason why this is important to me is because I've noticed that political Twitter hasn't been talking about this. This is the most important thing that political Twitter needs to be discussing. This is the most important event of the year. And it's going to be the catalyst for the most important event of our lives, the central bank digital currency. And political Twitter is not talking about this. And there's a few reasons why they're not talking about this. Um, number one, are distractions. Everybody is concerned about the Trump versus DeSantis feud, which I'm not going to get into. We covered that on the show last night. Hotep's been told you with uh Canada Hotep stepping in for uncle Hotep. Um, so we discussed that, but distractions, Fetterman's neck, Herschel Walker, midterm elections, whatever, whatever. And midterm elections are very important, so I don't want to reduce their importance. However, the distractions around midterms and around elections are not more important than what we're talking about today. Now, the next reason why we're going to why people aren't talking about this is blatant ignorance. And I talked about this before on my channel, how, you know, if I talk about some um, fiasco, some low brain content, everybody floods the chat, everybody here is watching. When we talk about the financial content, the viewership is not the same. And most of that is because um, intellectual content is boring. It may be important, but it's boring. And we know that Americans aren't the smartest people on the planet and they don't uh, exactly um, covet intellectual information they need to chewed and spat out regurgitated to them uh like a mama bird feeds her babies um so therefore because the public is ignorant not privy to financial education etc etc it doesn't get a lot of clicks which is why you're not going to see many influencers talking about this in the political space because they want to cover the stories that is going to going that is going to get the clicks uh, because that is most profitable to them. Um, and I totally understand that people have uh, free will and they're uh, more than welcome to run their business how they see fit. Uh, however, I want to make sure that not only do we cover the bullshit, but we cover the real shit, uh, whether it's going to get clicks, make money or not. Like I said, this is the most important uh, event that is going to be the catalyst to the most important event of our lives, implicating our freedoms as sovereign individuals in the United States of America. With that being said, um, I think right now we only have 66 people watching. So this is proof, right? Normally I have 100, 200 people. If we were talking about Herschel Walker can't talk or some liberals or some Democrats, um, but this involves a Democratic Party, and this is some major, I don't know, maybe collusion or something like that. I don't know. Let's let's just dive right into this subject matter. 
So first of all, this involves an individual by um, goes by the name of Sam Bankman Free. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, put his image on the screen here. You guys saw it in the thumbnail. But you go ahead and see his face here. I think it's important to know who we're talking about here. Sam Bankman Freed. And the first thing, you know, I uh, noticed was his name. Bankman. Now, anybody knows anything about how Germans get their names? Usually, you're named after your father, right? But you get a title. So, if your last name is Schumacher, that means you come from a family of shoemakers. So this guy carries a name, bank man. So he's going to be dealing in banking. This is my conspiracy theory. We're dealing with somebody who's dealing in banking. His name carries the title bankman or bank man. So we should expect him to be dealing in money. So looking at his name, there's no surprise that he's dealing in money. So his name, name is Sam Bankman Freed. He was the creator of uh, Almeida Research Firm uh, and also FTX, Crypto Trading Platform, or CEX. Um, let's talk about his connections. So first thing we want to do is pull his auntie up on the screen. We're going to start with his auntie. You guys will be able to see this here on your screen. And you see right here we have Linda Freed. And this is this website we're looking at here is none other than the World Economic Forum. This is uh, big news. You guys have been, you know, concerned with individuals connected to the World Economic Forum. Well, here's his aunt connected to the World Economic Forum forum again dealing with people who are in the money business let's go to his mom let's bring his mom up on the screen here let's see who his mom is now we're looking at his mom here this is Barbara Freed Stanford Law School professor co-founder of Mind the Gap a pro-democratic super PAC. Hale's academic work is focused on the intersection of business economics. She has written numerous critiques on political libertarianism. Earned a degree at Harvard University. We know about uh, the drug trade. We covered that the other night. The drug trade, the opium wars that helped build the Boston universities. The Forbes family implication in dealing in drugs once upon a time. So she's connected to this company called Mind the Gap. Mind the Gap is a left-wing super PAC dedicated to helping Democratic political candidates win elections. The PAC earns millions of dollars in donations primarily from Silicon Valley executives. Let's highlight that. In case we come back here, we need to Put our eyes on that immediately. Silicon Valley executives. So you're wondering about big tech and their connections to the Democratic Party. Well, here you have it. Mind the gap. This is uh, Sam Bankman Freed's mom. Says who are keen on quietly funneling 
massive political donations into the Democratic Party. The mission of MTG is to empower private political donors to strengthen our democracy. And we know what democracy is. Democracy is uh, two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for dinner. By providing them with evidence-based guidance on electoral strategies, tactics, and programs that are likely to achieve the greatest impact in a given election. That is Sam uh, Bankman-Fried's mother. Okay. We're going to go to this next story. Let me pull this up on your screen. Just give me just a moment. This one is called Inside the Secretive Silicon Valley Group that has funneled over 20 million to Democrats. This is uh, covered by Vox.com. There's a reason you haven't heard of Mind the Gap. It's Raison d'Entre is stealth. This is a January 6, 2020 story. And it says here, a secretive group led by Stanford University academics has unleashed millions of dollars in political spending from Silicon Valley and is now convincing some of its biggest donors to spend millions more back to, de to back Democrats in 2020. Minor Gap, a network formed less than two years ago, has been quietly routing millions of dollars to Democratic candidates in groups across the country in 2018 and 2020 election cycles, emerging as a new power center in the Silicon Valley political scene. It's uh, just that so far it has avoided public detection. The group's success is due in large part to how it speaks the language of Silicon Valley donors and operatives say. 2018, Minor Gap pitched donors on, statistic, on a statistical model that tried to assess the, prem, uh, the precise impact of each additional dollar on the chance that Democrats win the House of Representatives, as opposed to fund, uh, funding the easiest seats to flip. It's an, it's an approach one donor called the money ball of politics. That supposed secret sauce has ushered in more than $20 million in new political spending from tech leaders and others who are grappling with how best to use their wealth in the age of Donald Trump, according to Minor Gap's claims and materials seen by Recode. And the group has proven to be yet another way for Silicon Valley's donors to spread their influence across the U.S. at a time when many Democratic Party in the Democratic Party want to see big tech's power abated rather than expanded. And we saw this recently with um, Twitter and their huge influence. Um, so is it, is it any wonder that the Biden laptop story was basically banned from Twitter? If you talked about it, you lost your account. Uh, they said it was fake news, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Joel Roth and the rest of his bandits uh, who are no longer with Twitter were suppressing this story. Is it any wonder when you have Silicon Valley funneling their money into one political party? It says Minor Gap, whose efforts haven't previously been reported, has recently petitioned some donors for at least 100000 to support its efforts. Backers include people like Facebook co-founder Dustin Moskowitz, former Google CEO Eric Schmidt, uh, San Francisco power broker Ron Conway and the coterie of major Democratic donors across uh, Silicon Valley, including fundraiser Amy Rao. There are many middlemen on the left who have tried to take advantage of Silicon Valley's new political energy, but few are proven to be 
As unusual as Minor Gap in both its message and its personnel, the group operates in a cone of secrecy, often uh, exhorting its donors to keep their information secure. It has no website or presence on social media, and its leaders don't mention their involvement in the professional biographies on sites like LinkedIn. That's not by accident. The raison d'entre is stealth. One person with ties to the organization told Recode. A core strategy of Minor Gap has been to hide which candidates and groups it is backing until it's too late, so to speak. Republicans closely watch Democratic donors to see which congressional races they are financing so they can mobilize their own donors to restore financing parity in a particular congressional district. So Minor Gap's game has been to escape a bidding war by having his donors begin shoveling money behind Democrats only in the fall of an election season, sometimes all on the same day before Republicans have a chance to notice uh, that they are soon to be outspent by Democrats and then try to catch up. What is also unusual is that Minor Gap is not led by highly experienced political hands, but by academics with no professional backgrounds as fundraisers. The group's leaders are a pair of Stanford law professors, Barbara Freed, who has no apparent campaign experience, and Paul Brest, the former president of the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, Graham Gottlieb, uh, a Stanford fellow who served in junior roles for former President Barack Obama's 2012 reelection campaign in his White House and executive director. Free declined to answer specific questions of Recode about Minor Gap's efforts, past or present, but in a statement, she downplayed the organization as merely a pro bono donor advisor to people who are interested in evidence driven decision making. It's funny that all this stuff is coming to the surface post election. The whole FDX situation falls apart after election. I just find that quite ironic. Um, <laughs> thank you, Juke Joint, for the super chat. I appreciate you. Uh, can't read that for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, most people have no idea whether their political contributions will actually make a difference, Freed said. Our aim is to evaluate the uh, efficacy of different forms of political and civic engagement and provide our conclusions, freedom of individual interested donors so they can make more educated decisions about where their money has been effectively spent. All right. So I think that's enough uh, context here as to uh, and you guys can go in and you guys can read this story here um, about. um uh, mind the gap, et cetera, et cetera. I want to get to uh, some more pressing issues, but this is some background on mind the gap. who is run by Sam Bankman Freed's mama. So let's go to some um, background on um, the FTX platform. So this is by Lexology.com. And uh, Lexology says FTX, the crypto exchange run by a 29 year old billionaire. FTX, the cryptocurrency derivatives exchange that processes approximately 10.7 billion in trades daily, has become a force to reckon with. It is one of the fastest growing cryptocurrency exchanges in the world. Sam Bankman Fried, the 29 year old billionaire behind FTX, has an estimated net worth of 8.7 billion. FTX specializes in the trading of crypto derivatives, but it also has rapidly pushed into new markets. 
The exchange offers futures, leveraged tokens, tokenized stocks, and a host of other tradable assets. The company's headquarters is in Hong Kong. And we know China and their dealings with Hong Kong. We're not going to get into that. I'm sure you guys are privy to that information. If not, go look into that. Um, it's a whole nother story. That allows it to operate in less regulated environment than the United States. And I just find it funny that he wants to work on regulation, yet he lives in a place where there's less regulation. Or the, the FTX lives in a place with less regulation than the United States. It's so, so funny. Anyway, let's continue. And there is an FTX US platform, whatever, whatever. Um, Kamar Daniels said, China is asshole. <laughs> Word. <laughs> All right, let's get back into it. So FTX has also established its reputation as a trustworthy, reliable platform. It offers futures contracts on more than 20 cryptocurrencies as well as index futures which enables trading segments of the crypto markets. The FTX exchange facilitates trading of 45 different leverage tokens. The default is uh, 10x leverage, but the platform allows up to 101x leverage. Like a stock exchange, the FTX exchange offers options contracts. Options enable the buying and selling of an underlying asset as a predetermined strike price uh, and during a set time frame. Uh, another product that has been popular on the exchange are FTX move contracts. These enable trading based on small price movements of a specific cryptocurrency. Thus, the volatility of a specific cryptocurrency is a key factor dictating the price for a move contract. Um, some of the market offerings on FTX, which Hong Kong allows, would not be permitted under U.S. law. For instance, FTX offers tokenized stocks, which are digital coins that track the value of shares of companies. Some of the most popular tokenized stocks include uh, those tracking companies such as Tesla, uh, BioNTech, and GameStop. Trading in tokenized stocks can take place 24-7 and are accessible to overseas investors. FTX's foray into new markets coincides with Bankman Free's innovative outlook. In his view, there is a lot of room for innovation. All right, so let's go to here the skeptics FTX has some skeptics and says here, despite his growing clout, Bankman Freed has drawn skeptics. Some critics have pointed to the fact that he also runs a crypto trading firm called Almeda research. Let's highlight that. Almeda Research began in 2017 and presents a potential conflict of interest since Almeda Research is a significant trader on FTX. However, Bankman Fried asserts that Almeida Research does not get any special treatment for trading on his exchange FTX. Regardless, U.S. law and other markets would likely prohibit this arrangement. Uh, Rich Rosenblum, the president of another crypto trading firm uh, called GSR, has noted FTX rapid expansion. And he says they've certainly pushed the envelope in terms of products and speed with which, with which they've been able to launch products. Now, I don't know how much you guys know about hedge funds and, you know, money management, but you have to be very careful when it comes to, you know, over leveraging assets and um, betting with people's money. And we're going to look at some of the bets this company has taken in just a moment. So let's go into the next thing is here. It says Bankman Freed, politics and Biden. 
So it says FTX has offered some new products that are not crypto related. An avid supporter of Biden's presidential election campaign, Bankman Freed launched a prediction market to bet on the odds of Trump getting reelected. This is simply a market for betting on the likelihood of future events with no tie to crypto. Nonetheless, it has attracted the interest of many crypto traders on the FTX platform. The prices are based on the expected probabilities of particular outcomes. There is also an FTX Trump 2024 prediction market to bet on the chances of Trump running and winning the election again in 2024. Now, what did we talk about last night? Trump versus DeSantis, right? And some people are saying that DeSantis is the establishment pick and Trump is the people's pick. So with that being said, and having this information in mind, can you begin to ponder and wonder what's happening here with this FTX Trump 2024 prediction market and maybe why people have money on Trump losing. And we're going to show you something about that later. So it says Bankman Freed attracted media attention for being one of the largest political donors to Joe Biden's uh, presidential candidate. Um, so he's, he's, he, I believe he's the second largest donor to uh, the Biden uh, campaign. Don't quote me on that. This is the rumor. They say a vegan billionaire living in Hong Kong. Bankman Freed studied physics at MIT. We're going to talk about MIT in a few. He is the son of two Stanford Law School professors, which inspired his interest in academic pursuits. Before entering the cryptocurrency space, Bankman Freed worked for the quantitative trading firm Jane Street Capital. Now, the funny thing about this guy, he's involved in an altruist movement. He claims to be an altruist and says here he's a follower of the effective altruism movement. The basic premise is to make as much money as possible and then give most of it away. He's involved in a group called Mind the Gap. We talked about that. Let's highlight that. That is led by his mother, Stanford professor Barbara Free. Mind the Gap seeks to use quantitative metrics to determine the causes to donate to that would have the greatest impact per dollar. So using computer science to predict who should we send money to, right? Um, okay. Offshore exchanges such as FTX are likely to continue being disruptive forces in the cryptocurrency world. The complex products in offshore. Okay, so let's skip that. Let's go to, um, hold on, I wanna make sure I do this in order because I had another story I wanted to go to. Um, should I go to the one? Oh no, I know what I was gonna go to. We have to go to Joe Biden. We have to go to Biden next, and then we're gonna come back to um, Sam Bankman-Free. So let's pull this article up, um, which links to another article. Shout out to Cyprian our um, cryptocurrency guru. I'll put this on your screen. And there's an article here uh, by menavoida.com. 
Uh, it's called Biden Coin and the Cryptocurrency Fascism Looming Over America. Some of you read menoforder.com. Uh, if you don't, I suggest you start. This is the new home for all things men and masculinity. Sometimes you can go to these other masculinity sites. They're talking about men wearing panties and that's like the men thing, whatever. That's not this. This is real masculinity, traditional masculinity. So uh, this has been one of the more popular um, uh, articles on the website. And uh, basically what happened is the White House has issued a statement on its approach to regulating cryptocurrency. On September 16th, 2022, a memo was released titled Fact Sheet. White House releases first ever comprehensive framework for responsible development of digital assets. Now we just showed you how the second largest cryptocurrency exchange founder was the second largest donor to the Biden campaign. And the Biden campaign has released its first ever comprehensive framework for the development of regulating digital assets. Right. And this follows President Biden's March 9th executive order on ensuring responsible development of digital assets outlined. Uh, and this outlined the uh, first whole of government approach to addressing the risk and harnessing the potential benefits of digital assets and their underlying technology. So in this article, it talks about um, and there's a link right here to the whitehouse.gov paper. You guys can read that here. Uh, as you can see, I have a bunch of highlights. Uh, on this paper, which I used to write this article and said includes virtuous claims like consumer investor protection and financial inclusion. And uh, as I noted, Alexander used those same arguments to infer to affirm the installation of a central bank. So the big conspiracy theory here is that they're going to use some people call a false flag um, operation to bring about a CBDC central bank digital currency. Um. OK, so uh, what's mentioned here is uh, also FedCoin or the central bank digital currency, CBDC. Again, political Twitter is not talking about this stuff. And this is the most important thing that you could be talking about. Now, as you see here, um, I've uh, illustrated how there's several Fourth Amendment violations. And I've listed here. Um, the case law involving your Fourth Amendment rights, United States versus Miller, California Banking Association versus Schultz, Boyd versus United States, Byers versus United States, Katz versus United States and Berger, Berger uh, versus the uh, versus New York. And then I included this quote here from Justice Brennan. And he said, in the case of the Bank Secrecy Act, which they used to invoke to take away our rights, our Fourth Amendment rights, also potentially involving First, Fourth and Fifth Amendment rights of the vast majority of our citizenry. It exceeds Congress's constitutional power of delegation to empower the secretary of treasury to require whatever reports and records he believes to be possessed of a high degree of usefulness where the purpose is to further criminal tax or regulatory investigations or proceedings. Now, if you know anything about blockchain, blockchain means you can see the transactions. And if we're talking about the CBDC, there will be see as they move us to the CBDC, they'll be able to see all of your transactions. So you will not have any privacy. It'll be too late to invoke your fourth amendment rights 
once they install the CBDC. So the Fourth Amendment in regards to money will be obliterated. I hope y'all are paying attention. I hope y'all are sharing this with people. And I hope you push your favorite political influencers to educate themselves on this and to talk about this. This is the most important topic when it comes to politics and America. Here we have CBDC, digital form of the U.S. dollar. And um, that leads us to our next article, Project Hamilton. Now, Project Hamilton is very important, and you'll see why in just a second. Um, and, the, you know, of course, I included the arguments here, you know, created by Alexander Hamilton. There's, um, you know, uh, involving the, the World Economic Forum, Great Reset. There's a whole bunch of stuff on that here. Um, but what's interesting is um, MIT. MIT is the place at which... Um, this uh, Fed coin or, or CBDC is being developed. The central bank digital currency is being developed. It says right here, I'll highlight this for you. Let's highlight that. The Federal Reserve Bank of Boston or the Boston Fed is working with MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology on a project called Project Hamilton. Okay. And it says right here, if you know your history or read my book, The Patriot Report, that the name Hamilton should alarm you. Yes, the project was absolutely partly named after the central bank advocate, Alexander Hamilton. And I talked about that, you know, uh, Broadway play and they're screaming, Alexander Hamilton got black folks singing Alexander Hamilton's name as if he's some great individual. Meanwhile, he was pushing for central banking because he did not believe people have the fortitude to manage their own money. Did not have the responsibility to manage their own money. And I have that quote right here. Um, no society could succeed, which did not unite the interest and credit of rich individuals with those of the state. All communities divide themselves into the few and the many. The first are rich and well-born. The other, the mass of the people. The people are turbulent and changing. They seldom judge or determine right. So he's basically saying because people are dumb, we have to think for them. We have to take away their ability and their rights to manage their money. And we have to be their father figures. And this is the argument that you're going to see uh, come out of the White House. Okay, so now we have that background. We have MIT on our minds. We have CBDC on our mind. Uh, we have the Federal Reserve Bank on our mind, central bank, digital currency, all of these things, which brings me to uh, my next piece. Um, following these events with Sam Bankman Fried, we had the press secretary um, give a message. They uh, it risks without proper oversight. Uh, cryptocurrencies, they, uh, it risks harming everyday Americans. So this is something that uh, clearly we monitor and, and. You hear that? It's the same argument with different wording that Alexander Hamilton made. Without proper oversight, uh, crypto. 
without proper oversight. Currencies, they uh, it risks harming everyday Americans. So this is something that uh, clearly we monitor and harming everyday citizens and uh, that we see as an important, uh, important issue. But the most re recent <clears throat> new news further underscores uh, these concerns and highlights why uh, prudent regulation of cryptocurrencies is indeed needed. You see that? Regulation is, in, is, is absolutely indeed needed. Uh, the White House, along with the relevant agencies, will, again, closely monitor uh, the situation as it, as it develops. So... I've just shown you the sequence of events. Sam Bankman Freight, cryptocurrency, mom involved with the Biden campaign, involved with Silicon Valley, funneling millions into the Democratic Party, aunt involved with the World Economic Forum. Then Biden issues his memo, da, 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 da. Then Sam Bankman Freed goes into insolvency, is now being investigated by the SEC and the DOJ. And now the White House is calling for regulation. This is what some people will call the burning of the Reichstag building, a digital burning of the Reichstag building. Now we got to go back. We got to give you some more information as to why you need to be concerned about this CBDC as exposed by Cyprian, formerly known as Ben Armani. Now, if you see right here, it says, um, uh, at the time of investigation, basically you can mint, redeem and transfer, but this thing also has a burn feature. And basically what happens is this burn feature, you know, let's just play hypothetical conspiracy theorist here. You say something wrong on the internet, something they don't like, you know, you pull a Kyrie or you pull a yay, they can hit the button and render your money inept, impotent, disable your wallet is basically, so they can just erase you. You thought it was bad before. It's about to get much worse. Now, that's background. Now we have to come to the foreground. We have to bring the new events into scope, but you needed the background to understand um, some of the things going on here, right? And it's going to get real, real, really weird towards the end of this. And I got Jag uh, uh, from Syscoin, Jag Deep was from Syscoin, Jag Deep Sidhu uh, from, from Syscoin joining me later to talk about solutions and, and how we can um, circumvent some of these problems and how regulation isn't necessarily needed because we can go to uh, decentralized exchanges, a.k.a. a DEX, right? Okay, so where should we go next? Actually, let's play this clip from Sam, um, which at this point seems a bit hypocritical. Last thing that I'll say is if you look at what precipitated some of the 2008 financial crisis, you saw a number of bilateral bespoke non-reported uh, transactions happening between financial counterparties, which then got repackaged and re-leveraged. So now he's saying, you know, uh, there was some secrecy going on and they weren't transparent. But as you'll find out later, he wasn't transparent with his dealings. <laughs> 
again and again and again, such that no one knew how much risk was in that system until it all fell apart. If you compare that to what happens on FTX or other major cryptocurrency venues today, there is complete transparency about the full open interest. There is complete transparency about the positions that are held. There is a robust, robust, consistent risk framework applied, and we're excited to work with the CFTC on our uh, U.S. license and regulated venue um, to bring a lot of this. Uh, so this is a congressional hearing, and um, I'll give you guys that source to the congressional hearing. Give me just a moment. And you guys can watch that entire congressional hearing. It's right here. It's about four hours and 49 minutes long. And you'll see that here. This is called Crypto CEOs Testify Before Lawmakers on Digital Assets 12-8-21. So if you guys wanna do more investigation, we're not gonna play the four hours here, obviously. Um, but that's that. All right, let's go into, um, mm, mm, all right, let's, let's, let's go into the money. Let's, let's talk about the money and then we'll go back to people. So apparently, or allegedly, this is an early draft of what at the asset side looked like. Likely a few inaccuracies and things missing, but um, uh, apparently this is the asset allocation uh, behind, um, I'm assuming, um, FTX. So you can see here, a bunch was dumped into Serum, which I think now is like way, way, way down. Uh, cryptocurrency, obviously, uh, Robinhood. But the funny thing here is right here, they bet 7.3 million that Trump would lose the election. So the people that invested in the company put their money in this company. They used that money. Also see money was invested in Twitter, allegedly. But as you can see here, they bet on Trump losing. So this is a Democrat op. What is what I'm I'm, I'm assuming here? You know, I'm, that's just, it's just an assumption for legal purposes. Just an assumption, but this is what it looks like. It's like a Democrat op. That's that's what I'm saying here. Um. All right. So let's go to the next piece of evidence. It's a lot to cover today. So we'll pull this up on your screen. You say here, it says from Jago Capital. This is a wonderful thread by Jago Capital. We'll go through. It says, did you know I'll meet a CEO, Caroline Capital? Her dad, Glenn Ellison, was the department head of economics at what? MIT. MIT. And prior to getting appointed to the SEC, Gary Gensler, who was the chair over at the SEC, was a professor for the practice of global economics and management at MIT. MIT. There's Glenn Edelson, MIT. There's Gary Gensler. MIT. 
Remember, I just showed you where the CBDC is being developed at MIT. I hope the black vans don't show up outside my house. This is getting real spooky. Shout out to my super chatters that support the channel. My cash appers, I appreciate you. Cash app, dollar sign, Hotep Jesus. Um, Rumble's still grifting. They haven't blessed us with any rumbles, any any rumble uh, monies yet. Um, but that's okay. No worries. The information will get to the people regardless of financial support. Um, here we have another one. CEO of Goldman Sachs, David Solomon, Solomon, solo man, Solomon, met with S, uh, SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, to help FTX get regulatory approval, allegedly. And he has this here. It says uh, the future FTX and Goldman Sachs, two major strands evolved out of the discussion. One where Goldman would help FTX get regulatory approvals. Allegedly. And here's a photo of Almeida CEO. Caroline Capital's dad, a.k.a. Glenn Ellison, with Gregory Palm, former top Goldman Sachs lawyer, one of the wealthiest corporate lawyers in the United States. This is them here. Uh, a wise man once said, it's a big club and we ain't in it. Chat, tell me who who was who that wise comedian? Give you five seconds. Five. Four. Three, two, one, George Carlin, George Carlin, George Carlin, the wise words of George Carlin, um, small club, we ain't in it. Okay. Here, let's go to the next person. Joseph Bankman, again, bank man, Stanford professor and dad of SBF, uh, is cited a lot in his 2018 document, tax compliant in a decentralizing economy. Oddly, just before Sam and MTX arrived on the crypto scene, Bankman was working on new IRS tax filing system. I'm telling you, this shit getting spooky, man. Shit getting spooky. Um, here, there's some poll information. We covered this already. Uh, Joe Biden announces his presidential campaign 13 days later on May 8, 2019. Sam Bakeman-Fried, son of Barbara Fried, the co-founder of the political fundraising organization Mind the Gap. Get out and get out the vote organizations, including the Center for Voter Information, launches FTX crypto exchange. So Biden announces his presidential campaign 13 days later. FTX is a thing. The exchange is an overnight success that enables Sam to become the second biggest donor to the Biden campaign. Really makes you think. This individual says uh, Mrs. Freed launched totally grassroots Democrat pack July 2018. Wonder how you're going to raise enough funds to make a difference. Son coincidentally becomes multi-billionaire a few months later. Sometimes things just have a way of working themselves out, I guess. This is uh looks. I think that's poll. I think that's a poll uh, thread there. Again, this is all speculation. I don't know what's the truth and what's not. I'm just showing you what I found. That's all I'm doing. I don't know nothing. Okay. So SBF was what? An MIT graduate where Caroline Capital's dad worked. Caroline Capital was a Stanford grad where SBF mom and dad worked. Caroline's advice for college. And uh, Caroline is, um, I believe she was like CEO or co-CEO of Almeida. 
the um, financial firm connected to uh, FTX. And um, so that's that's that little uh, rabbit hole. Um, okay, we talked about them funneling money into it. We covered that already. Um, oh, check this out. Another great one from this thread. Um, SBF's brother, Gabe Bankman Freed, also former Jane Street trader, is founder of Guarding Against Pandemics. How is political Twitter not talking about this? <laughs> it's definitely intertwined with the Trump versus DeSantis conversation. If you watched the show last night, you would know why. We're not going to get into that. Bro, are you serious? Says here, he was a legislative correspondent for the U.S. House of, Representative, House of Representatives and an advisor to a large political, to, an advisor to large political donors in the Democratic Party. Founder and director of Gay Bankman Free, founder and director of Guarding Against Pandemics. <laughs> it's a small club and we ain't in it. <laughs> oh man. Here's, here's, here's some more. Here's some more. Here's some more. Here's a video of uh, Sam's dad, Joseph Bankman, lobbying at a U.S. House Government Reform and Oversight Committee's panel regarding hedge fund regulation on November 13, 2008. We all know about the uh, 2008 housing crisis. I was a victim of that myself. Put me out of a career. Let's continue. Head of Ventures and Commercial at FTX Ventures, Amy Tong Wu began her career as an analyst for Clinton Foundation in Botswana. Now, I'm definitely concerned about Black Van showing up outside my house. Make sure y'all subscribe to my Rumble just in case of anything. Subscribe to my Rumble ASAP. <laughs> Here we have her LinkedIn account analyst for the Clinton Foundation. It's Amy Wu. FTX. Man. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's keep going. FTX director of engineering. Nishad Singh recently doted $1.1 million to um, this lady named Becca Balint for Congress. Political campaign of Vermont, as well as five hundred dollars to the Democrat Party of Oregon. Singh spent $8 million on pro-Democrat campaign contributions. As you can see here, some screenshots and some articles. $1.1 million to Federal Political Action Committee of the LGBT Victory Fund. In case some of you guys are wondering where the rainbow stuff is. 
getting its funding from, which turned over uh, $991,000 in an ad campaign in support of Valent, the first woman and openly gay person to serve as president pro, ter- uh, pro tem in the state of uh, Vermont. Overall, Singh has made political donations to LGBT supportive election campaigns and pandemic prevention and control measures amounting to seven point nine. Hold on, I'm communicating with Jack Deep. We're going to bring him in here in a few um, to discuss this. So to discuss some solutions and, and where we go from here. He's a big, big, big brain individual. Um, if this is getting spooky, put some ghost emojis, emojis, however you say it, put some ghost emojis, emojis in the chat. I want to see some ghost emojis. Shout out to legend. He says, thank you. Hotel. Appreciate you. Put some ghost emojis in the chat. If it's getting real spooky now, Next one, former co-CEO of Alameda Research, uh, Sam Trabuco, left his CEO position just over two months ago. The MIT graduate now spends his time traveling the world and enjoying his new boat. Again, excuse me, MIT. I know MIT will not be inviting me out there for any, any talks anytime soon. Um, and there's some romantic relationships between people. I don't want to get into that. Um, but that's all like MIT stuff. Here's another article. In a CNBC article from earlier this year, uh, Sam says he could spend upwards of $1 billion on the 2024 <laughs> campaign. So he was about to put about a billion into the 2024 campaign. I see a lot of ghosts in the chat. See a lot of ghosts in that chat. Crypto billionaire says he could spend a record breaking 1 billion in the 2024 election. It's looking more likely there was a serious money laundering op going on, sending money from FTX to Democrats under the guise of altruism, says Jago Capital. Shout out to Jago Capital. Uh, this thread uh, by him is phenomenal research, I believe, here. I'll put his, uh, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. This is his uh, account right here. J-A-G-O-E, capital C-A-P-I-T-A-L. Wonderful, wonderful thread. Just absolutely eye-opening um, thread here. Um, what else we got here? Uh, I covered that already. Oh, (laughs) let's talk about some of the spending. One thing Sam liked even more than donating was spending money on marketing sponsorship. The goal was to rope in as many retail investors as possible using pro sports and star athletes. An estimated about 30 million was spent on a Super Bowl ad with Larry David. And then here we see uh, some of the spend here, some of the cash burning. You see basketball, Miami Heat, arena naming rights, 135 million. Golden State Warriors sponsorship, about 10 million. Steph Curry, brand ambassador, he got equity stake. I guess that's worth nothing now. 
uh, MLB sponsorship, undisclosed amount. Uh, Shohei Otani, Brandon Bass, I guess he's a baseball player or something like that. Uh, he got equity stick, and that's worth nothing. Uh, football, Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen. Bunchen, I don't know how you say her name. Sorry for my poor German. Brand ambassador, got equity stake. I'm sure that equity stake is worth nothing now. Football, UC Berkeley. Is it any surprise that Berkeley University, the University of California, Berkeley, got money? <laughs> Field naming rights, 17.5 million. Esports, TSM, team naming rights, 210 million. Racing, Mercedes Formula One sponsorship, amount undisclosed. I feel bad for some of these people, especially like, you know, these athletes. And you think you're getting involved in something good and you actually uh, getting involved in a web of shadiness. Um, more MIT. More MIT stuff here. One of the most interesting he's, he calls shady players at FTX is Gary Wang. Gary is a co-founder and CTO of FTX, architect of FTT. Uh, but it's hardly ever seen with very little info about him online. Graduated from MIT. Worked at Google and was crowned the wealthiest person under 30 is Gary Wang. Software engineer, MIT, Google, big tech, Silicon Valley. <sighs> Jago says this guy probably doesn't even exist. I don't even know. I don't know what's the truth with that. Um, then we have here some Gary Gensler ties. Um, Ryan Miller is former CFTC attorney for Gary Gensler and now general counsel for FTX. Trevor Levine is now senior counsel for FTX, formerly a contract attorney for the Justice Department. That's not, that's not, you know, we're familiar with seeing stuff like that. Um, uh, okay, so this is interesting. So Sam resigned from his CEO position at FTX and guess who stepped in as the new CEO, former Enron chairman and bankruptcy pro John J. Ray, the third John also served as senior managing director at Greylock VC, uh, among many other things. So this is former Enron. You guys know the debacle with Enron. If you don't get caught up. Um, what else? What else do we have here? Uh, Almeda, that's the um, firm. And uh, we talked about that, played a role in OTC uh, counterparty for large futures bet on Donald Trump winning the uh, 2024 U.S. president election. We covered that. Bah, 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 bah. OK, here's where shit gets spooky. Here's where shit gets spooky. Okay. I'm about to show you this right now. It says, let's kick things up a notch. WikiLeaks released an FBI doc outlining pedal symbolism. The B logo is eerily reminiscent of the Almeda research logo. So we got, y'all know this logo, right? Y'all seen this one. Y'all remember that circulating around. You remember this document, right? boy lover stuff, whatever, whatever. And then you look at the Almeda research logo.
Ladies and gentlemen, we are barely, barely scratching the surface. Um, BitBoy said over the next 24 hours, much more information is going to come out about this. People are talking about gang cartels or something like that. Just it's getting really spooky. It's getting really spooky. It's getting really deep. Um, all right, let's see what else, what other information I got here. Jag will be joining us in just a few, um, to, um, talk about some solutions. I believe he'll be joining us around, um, 3 15 PM. And, uh, I did, uh, send him the zoom link. So he'll be able to join me and we're going to talk about some solutions and how you get around that. Um, so quick update on where we are now with FTX as a company. So it says here they have filed for uh, bankruptcy. It says FTX trading uh, limited, AKA or doing business as FTX.com announced today that it West Realm Shire services, Inc DBA FTX us Almeda research and approximately 130 additional affiliate companies together. The FTX group have commenced voluntary proceedings under chapter 11 of the United States bankruptcy code in the district of Delaware in order to begin an orderly process to review and monetize assets for the benefit of all global stakeholders. John Ray Jada third has been a uh, has been appointed chief executive officer of officer of the FTX group. Sam Bankman fried has resigned as his role as chief executive officer and will remain to assist in an orderly transition. Many employees of the FTX group in various countries are expected to continue with the FTX group and assist Mr. Ray and independent professionals in its operations during the chapter 11 proceedings. The immediate relief of chapter 11 is appropriate to provide the FTX group the opportunity to assess the situation and develop a process to maximize recoveries for stakeholders. Mr. Ray said the FTX group has valuable assets that can only be effectively administered in an organized joint process. I want to ensure every employee, customer, creditor, contract party, stockholder, investor, governmental authority, and other stakeholder that we are going to conduct this effort with diligence, thoroughness, and transparency. Stakeholders should understand that events have been fast moving and the new team is engaged only recently. Stakeholders should review the materials filed on the docket of proceedings over the coming uh, days for more information. Um, now I got some more spooky shit for you. I forgot to show you this. Uh, where is it? Oh, here it is. All right. So this is Sam's profile pic. And this logo here is allegedly involving child love. Yeah, shit is real spooky. Somebody might need to get this over to um, Eliza Blue. She uh, is involved in child exploitation and human trafficking, sex trafficking. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, also, I think you guys know about the guy who was trying to expose some of this crypto guy. He disappeared a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, shit's real weird, y'all. Shit's real weird right now. All right, let me review and make sure I didn't miss anything. I think that's everything that I have so far. Um, I covered the employee thing last night on the show. So, um, yeah, let's recap. Ah, shit. I accidentally opened my chess program. Close. Uh, Get out of here. Leave me alone. Um, like I said, I got Jags joining me in a few. Um, I'll open up phone lines if you guys want to call in and talk about some of this stuff. Please be mindful that we are um, on YouTube. Let me hide you guys' information so we don't have any issues with sharing the screen. Um, call number is 202-596-5631 202-596-5631 I'm going to put that in the chat 202-596-5631 If you want to call in before Jag gets here we can have some great conversation <laughs> but um, what people are speculating is that this is a um the burning of the rice stack, digital burning of the rice stack building. And that either Sam set this up, his family set this up or they were set up, whoever somehow it was set up to fail from the start to bring about crypto regulation. Um, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Of course, they like to fuck on my electronics when we get into this deep shit. This involves um, a huge conspiracy, uh, potentially, where a kid has made a billionaire overnight. His mom is funneling money into the DNC from Silicon Valley. The kid himself becomes the second largest donor to the Democratic Party in hopes of winning the House. Thank God that failed. So I guess her program wasn't too effective. It was a close race, though, however. It was a very close race, so maybe she was somewhat effective. But the Republicans did win the House. And um, the Senate is still up for grabs, obviously, right? still wondering what's going to happen with the Senate is a couple of close races, uh, Herschel and Warnock, Walker and Warnock are headed to, um, runoff races, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. Uh, hold on a second. Let me just make sure. Okay, cool. Um, but the main things here that you have to pay attention to are basically on menoforder.com. See the logo. Go to menoforder.com. 
was two main articles on this stuff. Biden coin, which I called it Biden coin because it's his administration that's really pushing for regulation. I'm wondering if they're going to be able to push this regulation through. Um, before the next term, before 2024 and what that regulation looks like. Uh, I think uh, I've said this in the past, but uh, the cryptocurrency world and standby, I got Jack joining me. We're going to be talking about some solutions around this uh, centralization of uh, cryptocurrency. Um, but as I told the crypto world, there needs to be some sort of legal body that is to be formed uh, to fight against some of this regulation or all of this regulation. Uh, and, and you know, it's funny is because they have these things like accredited investor, right? Oh, this person's an accredited investor and, you know, in order to, uh, invest a certain amount of money or to invest, like, for example, um, if you want to invest in a startup, uh, I forget what the limit is. But there's a certain limit where they say you have to be an accredited investor. And there's certain parameters. I think you got to have like half a million liquid or a million liquid or, you know, 200. I forget what the regulations are on it. But you guys can go look that up. What it takes to be an accredited investor. Or those goals posts always move anyway. Um, but they call these people accredited investors. And then meanwhile, the accredited investors themselves are grossly uh, irresponsible with the money. They're involved in shady dealings. So you say, you tell the public, oh, public, you can't invest in anything. And if you do, we got to regulate. We got to watch it. We can't allow you guys to to actually try and make money out here. We can't allow you guys to compete with the ruling class. I don't call them elites. I call them the ruling class. We can't allow that to happen. No, sir. Bob. So I find that funny. You know, it's like, Oh, I gotta be credit investor, credit investor. It's like, yo, your credit investors is, is scamming people potentially are allegedly scamming people. So what's really real? What's really real? Let's check for some live updates here on this FTX debacle. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, CZ, Binance, number one cryptocurrency exchange in the world. He has issued a tweet. Um... Damn, Justin, FTX US suspends withdrawals. Wow. <laughs> wow. No bank run. Mm -mm. Wow. Oh, my. What does it say? Elon must change his Twitter button from art to... Blue part? What is that? I don't know. Whatever. Um, I 
call. Let's take this caller. Call from Blockchain Augustus. Blockchain Augustus. Press one oh, to shit. send a voicemail. Press two. I'm terrible at this. I'm sorry, y'all. Blockchain Augustus, you're on the line with Hotel Jesus. Talk to me. Hey, how you doing, brother? What's good, man? All right, well, first things first, I apologize for my last call-in where I, where I uh, you know, started saying stuff I shouldn't have said on YouTube. So that's that's, that's first thing first, right? Oh, all good. But, uh, I just doxed you, look, so man, my bad. <laughs> no, hey, look, I'm all good with it, bro. Everything, every, we're, We've been tracked for years and years and years, man. So I'll clip it out of the, uh, what's the name, out of the replay. <laughs> good. Good, good. I'm too, I'm too dangerous. I'm too dangerous. You're right. So, look, man. Um, I, I'm a little bit. So, <laughs> the last time I called in, you said the stuff I was saying was novice stuff and this, that, the third, and that's fine. I, I didn't really flesh out what I was trying to say properly. But look, um, do you ever talk about the Jesuits or, I mean, even the previous time I called in, you were talking about, um. You didn't really agree with. You said you had some Moorish friends and this, that, the third, and you you, you didn't want to get out of the the system and uh, you still wanted to operate in commerce. But when it comes to this cryptocurrency, when it comes to the blockchain, diction is very, very, very important. And when we break down the etymology of words, what is a blockchain? What is cryptocurrency? I'm just curious as how do you like how how do you put so much validity behind these things and so much credence into you know things like cryptocurrency when in, in actuality it's just going to enslave us even more. Um, what do you mean? I mean, there's all this stuff is monitored. You know, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely the the Bitcoin blockchain is public. However, there's ways around um, people tracking uh, what you do with your Bitcoin. Um, okay. There's privacy coins like Monero. Um, and I get I get your point, right? I, I totally get your point. And uh, it does make sense, right? Where we're saying, hey, you know, we're moving to a digital currency, da 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 da. And it's like on one side, we're saying the CBDC is bad, but, you know, everybody's trading the cryptocurrency. I think the difference is we're talking about something that's decentralized versus something that is centralized. And we're not deal what we're dealing with is protocols, and the protocols really can't be uh, controlled, right? The protocol is set and it just is what it is. So it is true decentralization of credit where when you're dealing with the USD, you're dealing with centralization of credit within the hands of the state, uh, which Lenin, Vladimir Lenin said was 90% of communizing a nation. Right. Um, I, I understand. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I I understand what you're saying. And in theory, I, I would love to, um, love to buy into what you're saying, but unfortunately, um, you know, and I, I, I forget the, uh, the blockchain currency this was or the um, uh, exact details of this. But when we had the trucker convoy up in uh, Canada, um, they were trying to send uh, digital currency uh, through the blockchain and they went ahead and uh, shut that down. So we can talk about being decentralized, uh, this, that, and the third, but at the end of the day, 
everything is monitored and it almost feels like we're giving these false idols, these false false prophets, i.e. Elon Musk, uh, et cetera, et cetera, for us to buy into this blockchain bullshit. But at the end of the day, the, the, the most valuable things are community and, you know, silver and gold and things actually worth value because we can't discharge any debt unless we pay it from silver or gold in this. Uh, okay. Let me, let America. me, um, let me, let me help you out there. Uh, first of all, you're wrong. Um, yeah. They didn't shut down the blockchain. <laughs> that that didn't happen. No, I'm saying with the trucker convoy in Canada, they went ahead and they shut down any transactions trying to be paid to those truckers in Canada through the blockchain. That is a fact. And I'm sorry, I forget which uh, which which currency it was, but that is a fact. That's not a fact, sir. And I'm going to correct you because I understand. I can tell you're not educated on cryptocurrency because you cannot shut down a blockchain transaction. <laughs> First and foremost, no, 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 they, no, no, they, they did shut it down because. Can you they, listen? Can you they, listen? It, it, can you listen? Okay. Can you listen? I apologize. And I'm, I'm gonna let Jag come in because Jag would be able to explain this a lot better than I can. Um, mm -hmm. But you cannot. That's not what happened. What happened? And Jag, welcome, Jag. Um, yeah, this this gentleman on the phone line right now, we're going to uh, uh, release in just a moment, is saying when it came to the trucker convoy in Canada, uh, payments to them were shut down on the blockchain. And I'm trying to tell him that's not the case. What happens was um, that was dealing with the centralized exchanges. Is that correct, uh, okay. Jack? Yeah, of course. Like the people were using custom. Uh, Custodian Look, providers. Up, hold on, hold on, hold on, um, hold on. One second, Jack. Okay. Hey, hey, listen. Um, I'm gonna hang up, and I want you to listen okay. as Jack explains this to you, because there's a difference between, um, you know, having, you know, they say no keys, no cheese, having your own wallet and having a custodial wallet. So we're gonna explain that now. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. My apologies. Hey. All right, Jack. You want to go ahead and explain that? Yeah, it's a good question because uh, it, it gets confusing with blockchain and banks in the middle intermixing with each other, but. When they were sending the money through, people were sending it through custodial wallets, but also had their bank accounts connected because of KYC, for KYC reasons. As soon as you give up your KYC, you give up your banking information. That's when the the, the government went after those people with their bank accounts and froze their assets because they were found to have uh, supported the convoy, right? That uh, The big problem was giving up your information and also having that bank account associated with it where you made the payment. Uh, but if you had made the payment anonymously through Bitcoin, you know, in, in a decentralized way, I'm holding my my wallet um, that's completely, you know, self-sovereign, then there was no way for them to do anything because they don't have any information on you, nor do the, nor you, you, you are your own bank at that point. They don't have any way to confiscate your assets. Um, and so some people did that. And, and the same way people uh, gave money to Ukraine and, and su supported them that way as well. Um, to, because knowing if you do that, your, your bank, probably someone's going to come after you and shut you down. So people are just using non-custodial wallets, which cannot be uh, intercepted. Now, that being said, with the travel rule coming up, um, because we are guarded by the app stores, pretty much all of these non-custodial wallets will start to have to have counterparty checks uh, prior to sending transactions and that's uh, going against the ethos, right? And and people will end up downloading the APKs directly to their phone or um, not have not being able to rely. That's just part of this war 
is 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 figuring out these non-custodial wallets and of course we're against that but going after google and and samsung and um and apple uh you can force them they're regulated entities to have to comply with these wallets so in the future probably in this next short term 24 to 36 months I would think that these uh, the wallets it would it would have been done already, but because of COVID, it got kind of paused. Um, but they're picking it back up uh, as soon as you get any of these wallets, even if it's non-custodial. In order for you to make a transaction, it's going to say, "Hey, I don't know who you are. Tell me who you are. Go sign up with a KYC provider. Give me your info. Do a FaceTime with me, and then uh, tell me." And at that point, you're in the books. Um, it is what it is, right? It's uh, there's going to be is needed regulation, but it's just a step into getting towards the decentralized society that we want. But it's um, it's going to be a war, like McAfee says. It's, it's it's something that we're going to have to fight through, and then hopefully in the end we'll we'll come out on top because the market decides and not government policies, right? Let me let me uh, just clarify a few things you said there. So he mentioned the term KYC. KYC stands for Know Your Customer. So when you're dealing with uh, a centralized exchange such as Coinbase, for instance, um, they deal in KYC. Basically, you have to verify your identity. You'll take a picture, you'll send in your ID, you connect your bank account information, and now you're starting to deal in cryptocurrency. So when we're talking about the trucker convoy, and this is my problem, uh, especially with the right wing and conservatives, they're not privy to tech. They're not privy to technology, they're not privy to cryptocurrency. So they think they know, but they don't know. And then they spread misinformation. And this is what really how the left dominates and how big tech dominates because the right is just uneducated. So the gentleman comes and says the, the trucker convoy had their payments stopped on the blockchain. And that's not correct. You can't stop the blockchain, <laughs> right? What happened was they were sending money well, to. I'm going to stop you there. And Ethereum is actually being censored as we speak. Tell me about that. <laughs> the 75% of the blocks are actually censored uh, because the validators in proof of stake, um, they are known, uh, you know, known entities or known pools. And they've actually, because they just switched over, the governments have been, or the regulated entities have been telling them you got to censor certain transactions like tornado cash transactions. Uh, even though they do get through at some point, 75% of the validators now are censoring those specific smart contracts. Now, that's not to say that Ethereum is going to be censored long term. I think once they do a separation on the how the block gets created and how it gets proposed, they will actually be able to maybe solve most of the problems. But as it stands today, uh, most of the blocks are actually censorable on the Ethereum blockchain. Not Bitcoin is different. It's a right. It's a race towards... I can be sitting in a basement. It's a race towards finding a, a solution. Whereas Ethereum is all the validators are set up ahead of time. Uh, uh, the major pools are set up and they're regulated. The entities are staking. There's staking involved. So they have to be, uh, even though it's non-custodial, they still have to be regulated differently. And they have control over who's operating the blockchain at any given time. And they can decide what goes in the block. Uh, so it's a little bit different. And that's almost like going to F2 pool and via BTC and telling them you cannot create a block that has certain transactions, but the Bitcoin use case is, is completely different because it's, there's no DeFi. And so there's nothing really to censor there. It's, it's simple value transfers. And, and on the other hand, 
once you do add privacy to the mix, you're not going to be able to censor either way, even even on Ethereum. So, um, okay. So to break that down, um, what he's basically saying is that Ethereum moved away from proof of work to proof of stake. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. So basically, whoever stakes makes the rules, right? Yeah. Yeah. You decide based on your stake, and then you get a chance to um, create a block based on your weight and. Uh, it goes through and if you do something bad it's a negative repercussion model it's like you know i'm never a fan raising small children i'm never a fan of uh negative reinforcement it's always about positive and so when you go into the staking world you are going into a negative enforcement model because there's no way to in hindsight to look back and positively enforce someone to be honest you have to assume actors will be irrational and dishonest and so because of that you have to look back and say, oh, this guy did something bad. I'm going to punish him instead of say, let's let's all be honest and and great. You you do you do your job well and we'll pay you. But you always have to assume that one guy is just going to throw away money just to screw around. And the system has to be anti-fragile to that. So in that scenario, um, you have to punish. And in my view, um, that's just not the right way because it sets up a bad precedence. And uh, the Bitcoin or proof of work is there is no there is no repercussions if you do the work you get paid if you don't you don't get paid right so it's more of a positive mindset rather than a negative right so let me um correct my previous statement you can't stop the proof of work blockchain to be as it stands today and, and i think once ethereum figures out privacy and it figures out proposer builder separation it adds finality into the mix there will be better ways to stop MEV and stop uh, censorship on the proposed blocks. But it's it's a they they've laid out a four four milestone roadmap now. Um, the scour scourge, I think Vitalik called it, the next milestone will start to separate the block producing and will probably solve the, that censorship problem. But ultimately, as you know, the way to solve this is add privacy. Um, but in order for us to add privacy. What I, I would call, we, we cannot have privacy by option. It's got to be privacy by requirement. And what I mean by that is the blockchain simply can't scale unless you add privacy. So the governments simply have no option but to allow people to transact because it offers economies of scale. Um, privacy by option is something like Zcash, Monero, Tornado Cash. These are design and options where you opt in and then you are transacting in a private way but they don't offer any scalability or anything like that. Um, in my mind, in order for us to do this, you hold your own value to, to yourself in a non-custodial way. You make a proof in ZK yourself that you're about to transact and you send some someone out there that's able to package that up and throw it in the blockchain. They have no clue who you are, what you are, what values you're transferring, just that it's valid. And so client side, proving or client-side validation of the transaction and creation, it not only creates a distribution of parallel processing, you know, everyone's doing their own work in order for us to be able to transact. Um, it also solves MEV. Like there's no, there's no front running possible because you don't know who's doing what. And it also creates that privacy. And it's a requirement because if you take away privacy, then you need a this crazy consensus system that's going to order things and make sure there's no front running and make sure negative repercussions are taken care of in a staking model. Um, this is really the, the end goal is to get to a way where 
I have my MetaMask or my wallet open. I make a proof myself that I'm about to send a hundred bucks to you and no one else knows that it gets put into the block because no one knows what it is, but I pay enough fees. I I'm interested in the fees as a validator. So I take that. Um, let's talk about censorship on Ethereum real fast and, uh, and then segue into how that affects the Syscoin technology. So with proof of staking, um, there's a, a, a potential, uh, that if I want to send, uh, some, Ethereum to another individual that that won't go through? Yeah, like uh, most of the validators, if you're trying to send to Tornado Cash or some of these sanctioned, you know, now they've added that to their sanction list, um, the validators will not process those transactions. They'll simply skip them, even if you um, add in a crazy fee. So the, the, the nodes are processing with fees highest, right? They order based on fees, but they will simply have a blacklist on their own node, on their minor node, they'll say anything coming from this, interacting with this contract, we'll just simply skip it and we'll keep keep going down the list until we find one that's not on the list. So in the case of the truckers, you know, let's say people were sending two truckers in that instance, the convoy in Canada, would there have been a way, if, proof, if Ethereum was proof of staking at the time, would there have been a way for them to say, no, shut down these transactions? No, not really, because you have to totally get everyone on board to to sanction the, the validators. There's always going to be someone that's going to enable it. I was just saying that 75% of them, so it takes, it'll, t- it'll just take a lot longer. You might have to pay a higher fee. Um, but, you know, it's, it sets a bad precedence because who knows, maybe you can get maybe 99.9% of them to agree um, because they're validators that are known, you can maybe coerce them as a government agency to say, nope, you better do it because 75% of them already agree. You might as well join, join with the majority. So it just sets a bad precedence, but they're going to solve that problem anyways. Um, but I'm saying regardless of that strategy, even Bitcoin, uh, because you're pseudo-anonymous, as soon as you've transacted more than once, it's a little bit better on Bitcoin, right? Because you send your coins to a change address. And the change addresses really are concealed. So um, you technically don't really know. Um, you you have some idea that that's your money because it got sent as change, but you have no guarantee as someone that's enforcing this. And Ethereum, you're reusing the same account. And so it's a little different. You, you technically could, but we really need privacy to solve that problem. And we're all, we're a while away because um, the first war will be let's just get people off the blockchain. If I'm a government agency, I don't want people to even use this stuff because it's um, what I, what I wanted to talk about was there's an inherent risk on the entire financial system. If 1% of the people exit fiat, right. For, for the compounding growth of the ecosystem assumes one, uh, uh, 1% has, has to stay in the system because 99% is pretty much printed out of thin air. That's just how the, compounding effects of our fractional base system is working. So if 1% leaves, the system can break down. And that's what inflation, inflation is actually happening because the supply base is going up. In order for them to protect that, the war is simply plan B right now for them is let's just possibly create contagion, right? I, I don't know if this is them doing it, but possibly stop people from doing that without banning it. As soon as you ban it, like, hey, let, maybe there's something great about this tech if you want to ban it. I'm not on board with that. 
and 1% of the people opt out, you're done. Um, so they need to create a, a mindset where people think it's not a good idea to use. Like like the trucker convoy guy that say, oh, if they can ban it, why would I use it? What's the point of all this? I'll put my money in a bank and, and not worry, uh, not knowing there's maybe an agenda behind that. Mm, mm. So he could be a victim of the same propaganda of the bankers that he <laughs> does not like because they, they want you. So what you're saying is they don't necessarily have to outright ban it. They just have to ban it in the minds of the people and make them not like this technology. And real quick, just to backtrack to the trucker convoy, um, you have the custodial wallet. So if you did that with Coinbase, let's say we're dealing with Bitcoin, Coinbase colluding with the government says, look, we're not approving any transactions because this is our wallet. We control this wallet. But if you were sending from um, private wallet to private wallet um, or uh, cold storage to cold storage, mm-hmm. um, self-custodial, uh, self, uh, self-custodial wallet to self-custodial, am I using the right terms here? Mm-hmm. Self-custodial to self-custodial, there is no way they could stop that. And, I, and that's why I said uh, amongst the right, it's very important to get educated on this stuff because if you wanted to send Bitcoin to the truckers, there was no way they could have stopped it if you did it properly. If you did it properly. And the problem is people aren't educated and they sound like our last caller, who I love dearly. I appreciate him calling in. But it's that lack of education that makes you think something is bad and nefarious or doesn't work when in actuality it does. And the media does a good job of sort of uh, contorting our minds to believe uh, the wrong, um, the wrong thing. Um, okay. Let's talk about, um, centralized, um, exchanges and decentralized exchanges. As we saw FTX centralized exchange, things fell apart there. Uh, what are the downfalls of dealing with centralized exchanges, uh, like FTX? So I, I think this is just a, um, this is a figment of the, in, in our imagination, how the economy is working, it's the, you know, what FTX did is is not any different than what Celsius, BlockFi, all these other guys were doing, right? Yeah. And that's a recurring theme. Like, are these guys all colluding together and deciding, let's just try to make hay as, as much as possible before riding off in the sunset? You know, there's going to, they're going to find out one day. So I, I, I'd like to think that they didn't have scam on their mind from day one. I mean, besides someone like maybe Luna or Doquan, which they, uh, or even uh, Three Arrows Capital, which set up, specifically set up a corp in Singapore in such a way where in an exit clause, they're able to still walk away with money and they, they probably had, th- had thought about scam the whole way through. Um, you have to kind of um, assume that some of these people were honest. They ha- he had philanthropy. Uh, he spent billions of dollars uh, giving away and, and doing good things, but um, it's a it's it's just a microcosm of the broader uh, capital structures that we have that incentivize us to create debt or create sell debt when when really you don't have the capital behind you because the financiers and the legal guys say yeah technically you're acting like a bank and this is what the banks do so you might as well do the same thing it's just that you're not regulated in the same way um, and this goes back to my you know tying it to FTX means for me. Um, it's all about the theory of what uh, the, the current economic system looks like and why the current economic system is not healthy and what we could do to change it. My theory is that um, potentially government had a hand in the contagion that I, I would say it's, say it's a plan B. Uh, plan C would be let's 
in my mind, let's let's just go into crypto and back crypto with with the bond system like U.S. bonds. Like BlackRock is doing that now. They're taking USDC, they're putting it in the BlackRock books, and now they're backed by also U.S. bonds. So whoever has the military might or the bonds behind, because they they can finance their fiat fiat currencies that way by printing more. Um, they they are now taking control of of the stablecoin market, which is billions, or if not in, in the near future, trillions of dollars to try to create that homogeny or keep that control, that power control. That would be plan C if all else fails. Plan B would be simply let's just try to get into the minds of the people to show them that this stuff is is pump and dump and uh, there's no value in it. Um, and even if it goes down to a hundred bucks, you know, you know, the cat's out of the bag, the technology works. Um, and there's always going to be a buyer for a seller. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where the, the smart, smart people that understood the technology are not going away. And so plan B is more of a, it could be a, a wild card. The governments are playing to try to capture as much as possible before fi finally plan C. Uh, and I, I, I think my conspiracy theory hat, I think it's U S and China, obviously those are the two superpowers that are battling for supremacy right now. If you look at all the, the the charts of the supremacies of all the governments over the last thousands of years, you're you're seeing a battle between U.S. and China over um, a couple of times when resulted in in wars a lot of times or cold wars, and they're butting heads again right now. China is about to surpass U.S. as as the top growth nation with the most GDP, um, but U.S. wants to retain that. So how do they retain that? Well, te technological re uh, innovations and to uh, through military might. And so having crypto there, if if 1% of the people opt out, um, traditionally it's gold and silver, but if they opt out to crypto, that means that the existing, existing system needs to change. They need to finance debt in a different way if they want to keep this thing going. If they're financing debt, they need to sell bonds. And so if they're backing the US bonds to crypto, that's one way for them to keep financing the system, potentially to pay off their debt, even because this is a new way to finance. But if 1% of those people simply opt out and, and not finance them, the system breaks down. Uh, I keep saying 1% is because that's just how the, the treasury bills are sold off from the government to the Fed. The Fed buys it, the Fed gives the funds to the government, and then it's fractionally lended out to the, uh, it, to a 10 to 1, it's fractionally lended out to the retail. But that same money is, is added back in the debt spiral to create 100 to 1 leverage effectively. If 1% people leave, there's not enough money. And so that's why I keep saying that. Uh, so the, for me, in my mind, um, they are trying to avoid that situation. And plan C is if you can't kill it, join it. And that might be what U.S.'s plan is to create still power, the, the homogeneity of power to keep intact, to try to keep on top of China. And, and China might have their own plans. So when you say join it, are you saying that's in the form of the central bank digital currency? CBDC uh, backed by U.S. bonds as well as the existing USDT and USDC, which has the network effects. So that BlackRock is now controlling USDC, um, and so they they have the uh, U.S. bond behind it, basically powering uh, the ability for them to uh, keep control of their debt. And another another thing here is why didn't why why hasn't this happened with gold and silver? You know, gold and silver is is an opt out. Well, why hasn't this happened? It's because this is COMEX. This is, they're trading this uh, as an IOU, uh, and JPM is is uh, 
uh, probably always shorting this thing, the money never leaves the system. If the money's never leaving the banking system, the supply is un unchecked or unchanged. You don't need to um, uh, worry about inflation if your money's not leaving the banking system, right? So if, in 2008, 2009, when they printed uh, whatever it was, like 800 billion, it didn't result in inflation. It was actually deflation because the way that uh, it's calculated is uh, velocity of money times the stock, right? The velocity of money uh, was dropping, but the supply didn't really change. So it didn't affect inflation at all. Inflation actually went down. It was deflationary. It's because the money, there was no opt-out. Uh, some people went into gold and silver, but that there was never physical delivery. If I want physical delivery on COMEX, I would have to go call them up. I would say, I want physical delivery. They'll put you in a separate account. They'll front run you and they'll give you hassle to try to get it delivered. You got to figure out your own way to get that delivery all the way up the supply chain. And then when you got it delivered, where are you going to store it? And, and, and the vaults themselves uh, could be captured. There's repatriation all the time. Back when JPM was establishing the Fed, there was repa repatriation of gold and silver. Um, so there's no way for a 1% uh, exit to happen through gold and silver. But with Bitcoin and crypto, uh, we hit trillion, a tr a trillions of dollars market cap. And so that does get into that territory where it gets pretty scary, right? Because that money is actually sitting in non-custodial wallets. It's not sitting in, there's no IOU or anything like that. It's exited the bank. That capital has exited. As soon as that happens, they cannot... Uh, who's going to be buying the bonds and who's going to be uh, financing their debt? That's that's the big thing. And if you think if you think that is the issue, then it's not a um, it's not a wild theory to think that the governments would be uh, anti crypto and try to get in the minds of the people to try to kill it. Because banning is not a way to kill it. It can actually have adverse effects. Because you can't stop Bitcoin. Is that why you can't stop it and you can't really stop the mind of the people and the market is always bigger than you. Hmm. Uh, so you, you, you try to uh, in, intervene in the market and it can quickly rebound against you. Like, look, look at what uh, bank of Japan has been trying to actively short uh, USD to JPY, the currency pair. And then it keeps bouncing back. Uh, they need the broader market to believe that it's over, it's overbought and it needs to be brought back down. And now it's, it's, it's coming back on its own, but they, they did intervene and it kept coming right back up. And they did the same thing when it was below 80, they were intervening to sell Japanese, uh, Japanese yen to basically bring the market rate back up because the market was too deflationary. Uh, so the intervention we found in long enough time frame it doesn't work out. Uh, and so that's another form of intervention to say, you can't do something. Well, for sure, if you can't stop the thing, then... I will opt out and try it out because uh, everyone else is. It's a herd effect. Mm. All right. I want to talk about um, centralized exchanges, sex versus DEX, um, CEX versus DEX. Uh, I think I understand DEX, um, but tell me the advantages of DEX over CEX. Yeah. So, so CEX, it opens up the same sort of attack vectors we've seen um, in the existing banking system today where people get, greedy right and there and the, the key differentiation is who's holding custody if i'm holding custody i can do anything i want i can short that thing i can fractionally lend it and, and uh, these centralized exchanges um you know i've had a long-standing theory that they probably are fractionally lending it probably shorting the altcoin market trying to make as much as possible 
Um, and when it comes to delisting, they will do a exit pump, right? Because they got to buy it all back up to make it whole with everybody. So why were we seeing such crazy exit pumps when delistings were happening a couple of years ago? Um, there was obviously short sellers that needed to cover. And so Sunshine's exchanges, they're holding the custody. So it's it's kind of a black box. You can't peek inside of it. And so CZ has been saying, why don't we create tools? Uh, obviously, he's a proponent of Sunshine's exchanges. Why don't we create tools so you can audit the our books um, on, on the blockchain? But that's still not good enough because where are the profits going? How do we know that we've you've covered all of your assets on the books? Because if you're shorting and you're making profit, how do we know that um, your, your proof system is actually covering that? There's no real way unless you take away custody, right? The real solution is taking away custody. And when you take away custody, up till today, we haven't had the ability for you to trade in a, uh, in, a, in a really efficient way to reduce your fees and make fast transactions. For example, quant trading is simply not possible using the blockchain. You know, using that same system where you take away custody and now you're interfacing with a smart contract to place your bid and asks, it just doesn't scale the same, right? Right. But the last few years, we've seen a rise of a few. I've actually tried it. I've tried it with real money. Uh, one was called DYDX. I threw it. I, 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 had, a, I had a theory that maybe uh, it's okay for 10000 bucks, but you try throwing in more and let's see how this thing handles it. And if volume is good enough, I threw in a million bucks. USDC, sure, let's try it out. Um, and it And I was able to quickly get in and out of the market. No issues. There was no delay. It felt like Binance almost trading just for fun um it didn't make any money didn't lose any money just just for educational purposes and i, and I saw the power of decentralized exchanges i was signing off with my own metamask there was no custody um, now that solution itself was probably not a good representation of where we're going because they are running on starkware which is closed source and they control the data so if you wanted to ever exit um, they control that data uh, potentially if they walked away or they got shut down, your funds may or may not have been taken when you authorize them to trade on your behalf. Um, there's an approval process where the money goes into their kind of inbox, call it, and then they can trade very fast from that. Um, but in order for you to exit, you need a little bit of data to, to prove to the blockchain that you can, you actually are the owner. And that that data is the problem. So getting us getting to DEXs, we need a way to scale up. Uh, and DYDX and Zigzag and some of these decentralized exchanges are coming up, and they are showing. Uh, they're actually scaring a lot of these centralized exchanges because the the, the response of uh, Binance was okay. We'll promote Binance Chain and build Binance Chain and build stuff on there. Uh, and start going the way of the DEX, but not completely solving it because we can't solve it yet. Uh, and Centra's exchanges are there until then. Now we're at a point where one just failed us. Um, should we be looking harder and harder at DEXs because it it doesn't require custody and custody is, is the crux of all this. If you remove custody, there's no way for people to manipulate uh, the books at that point. So is DEX purely peer-to-peer? Yeah, I mean, um, the way that D DYDX was doing it was they're using ZK Starks, which is uh, the Starkware guys came up with this technology, this mathematical ways to aggregate transactions in a proof. Um, and once you aggregate them in a proof, you send that to the Ethereum blockchain 
kind of like as a batch. And uh, the, the the actual Ethereum blockchain doesn't have to reprocess those transactions. So that's where you get your scaling from. You also get privacy as well because Ethereum blockchain really doesn't know what's in that. It's just getting a ZK proof, maybe a constant size uh, mathematical proof of a few thousand bytes representing millions of transactions possibly. But the fallback there is in order for you to reproduce state, in order for you to be censorship resistant, you need a little bit of data about each transaction that's stored in a public space. And so Starkware was just keeping that themselves because they wanted this thing to scale up. Um, but the, the the technology, if if you assume the data solution is there, which it is now, especially on Syscoin and Ethereum coming up next year, it'll be there. Um, we'll be able to put the specific data required for censorship resistance on the blockchain. And the blockchain basically becomes a data layer at that point. And all of the computation happens in this magic ZK world, which would be a couple of validators that are just crunching ZK proofs. And your wallet is just sending these validators um, uh, your transactions so that it can crunch them into proofs. And that's how it's it's working. And, and there's actually per, per, uh, perpetual trading systems, DYDX, ZigZag, and there's a few more. And there's a whole bunch in the works that are actually able to solve these problems. Um, they, they they still don't scale to the point of uh, being able to support quantum trade, uh, quant trading, or you know millisecond based finality. Um, but as soon as we get into the zk world with what's going on with Polygon and zk sync three, we will get to that point pretty soon. So it's going to be really interesting, maybe uh, one or two years to see these solutions come up in the market. Now it sounds like this is a world without USD. Well, the, these guys used well DYDX used USDC kind of natively. It actually used it internally, and so everything you ha in order for you to deposit, you actually had to deposit USDC. <laughs> so that was the that was a crazy thing. Um, but I would I would think that unless we can get an algo stable coin, um, it just doesn't make sense to keep going the way of USD. Like we know that problem is going to come up. The USD is probably going to inflate at some point a lot more. Um, where do we, where do we turn when that happens? You, you need some sort of stability. You can't assume that everyone's going to use ether or Bitcoin to transact in and out of these systems. You want stability. Um, and so you need that stable coin narrative still. And so a lot of the layer ones, they have been working on algorithmic stable coins. Like Luna has done one that's failed. Phantom just did one that's failed. Tron just did one that's failed. Uh, Ada had just released their white paper. Um, and we're looking at our own. And the, in order for us to create those stable coins, we cannot depend on the US dollar at that point. You might want to target $1, but you cannot take in that dollar. You have to take in the gas token. So if it's Ethereum or Syscoin it has, or Bitcoin, it has to be deposit that decentralized gas and output stability out of that. And that's how we, we think about that. And that's what's going to be used broader across the entire ecosystem is some sort of algo stable coin. Someone's going to get that right. And we'll be all using that um, to be able to preserve wealth without some sort of speculative component and then get into the speculation of Bitcoin or Ethereum as we need uh, to take our positions on those trading platforms. When you say Tron and, and the rest of these guys failed at creating a stable coin, what do you mean by failed? 
Well, they, they've shut them down. They literally mm -hmm. had stable coins and they decided because investor protection is not there, these, these designs are not, not very good. They weren't uh, stable. <laughs> weren't stable. They shut Luna and uh, Luna classic and all these ones, they, they were the same design as them. Right. So for us, we're actually researching that to try to figure out where they went wrong. If we can, with ZK knowledge, actually solve that in a better way. Interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's one of those things like in, in your ecosystem, if it's not Bitcoin, it's Ethereum. Like in that ecosystem, you need DeFi, you need, you need some sort of stable store of wealth where you will transact. And then you need the trading systems on top. And yeah. So when we're dealing with the, uh, the deck situation, individuals are getting USDC from where are they getting it from KYC sources or decentralized sources? I mean, all of the above, um, it's going to be harder and harder to get it from non KYC sources. Um, I know a lot of people are trying to get rid of their stable coins right now. Um, and I, I know we're trying to sell $2 billion worth, like as we speak, they're trying to get out, um, go back into cash or Bitcoin or Ethereum or something like that. So it's, it's really hard from that perspective to get away from the KYC component. It's going to be required you know, because it's uh, worst case scenario. You can always blacklist on, on these smart contracts. USDC actually owns the ability to blacklist you. USDT just blacklisted the SAM, right? Of FTX, 45 million bucks or whatever it is. So um, easy to do and hard to get around. It's, it's the thing. So it's, that's why I'm saying like these stable coins, there's just a stepping stone into something bigger. CBDC is probably going to do this much better. Um, but in the end, for me, it would need to be like an algo stable that really, if you want to preserve your wealth short term, you do it there. Otherwise, you should just be holding the gas, you know, the decentralized currency, if it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, Syscoin, something that's completely decentralized and doesn't have any edge case attack vectors. That's what you should be probably holding long term and then transacting when you're making a, a barter transaction, they may not accept that. That's where you use the smart smart contracts to automatically convert that for you for the payments or Lightning Networks would automatically route that and convert it for you sort of thing. So in this DEX um, market, community, economy, um, people are trading, trading alts for alts, right? Uh, is that is that correct? Yeah, like uh, if I'm I'm a merchant and I've tokenized my my supply chain or my business and I want to accept Burger King token, um, but you only have um, Taco Bell token, <laughs> so you there's going to be an automatic conversion there and a slippage. But if the markets are liquid enough, you could definitely just convert it on the fly and and have them receive it. But if you maybe give them Burger King token, you can give uh, get a five percent discount or something like that. So that way, they, the tokenized Burger King model actually is not based on um, revenue that you use to make burgers, but more on the value of Burger King token itself. Mm. So if there's if the Burger King token is going up, that's the business. It's like almost like a public offering in a way where you're on the stock exchange, but everything is run through a utility framework for accepting, sending, receiving goods and services based on that token itself. That's how I view tokenizing the world, right? Like if you're going to tokenize the world, it should be tied directly to utility of whatever service you're offering rather than staking or all this other crazy stuff, right? 
Absolutely. Um, I, I completely agree. Um, so in this, in this, I guess we can call parallel money economy. This is the way for people to uh, transact, uh, exchange value with each other without a controlled intermediary. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. And and in the in the Lightning Networks case, um, you're completely off chain, and there are routers in the middle. They're acting like banks that will do the conversion for you. In the Ethereum world, uh, in the smart contract world, there are no intermediaries. There's there's a market of people that have committed to putting value in the deck. Someone consumes that for some rate that's given to you an in interest or fee or whatnot. And so there is no intermediary to say. I will allow this or not allow this happen, especially when privacy is introduced. It's more of, I would like to introduce liquidity because I'm going to make money on it. And I don't know or care where you're going to use that because I can't control that narrative. So here's the money I'll make fee. I'll make a return on investment. That's all I care about. The DEX is a protocol. Yeah. I mean, Uniswap is a protocol that has uh, sort of a, a, an automated market making model where you put in funds, but you have to, if in this model, if you're a uh, Bitcoin and, and USDT, you would have to put both positions in and you put an equal, equal amount on both sides. And then people can uh, come in and uh, take your liquidity. And when they're a taker, they're going to pay the maker a fee. So you, you're making ROI on top. Um, you know, one side goes down, one side goes up, but there's an algorithmic curve on the rate based on how much you put in. So if, if it's one, if your Bitcoin was $10,000, you put in one uh, one 10,000th of a Bitcoin and $1. And that would, that would set the price of Bitcoin to ETH in the, in the smart contract. And when someone consumes it, they're going to consume it based on $10,000 of Bitcoin. And so you, um, you put in liquidity uh, based on what people are paying, but you put in the right amounts on both sides. And that makes it, it's a new, a new take on being able to do uh, a market from a bid and ask perspective through smart contracts. Then there's perpetual trading DEXs, which are just like Binance, where you're putting in money, just I have USDT or I have Bitcoin, and I just put it in the book and someone takes it, sure. And you, you get a small fee on that, but that's a traditional perpetual trading DEX. That wasn't really possible at the time Uniswap was made. Um, because it didn't offer that scale, you know, perpetual trade, perpetual trading requires the use of ZK for you to really scale up. Everything has to happen off chain because there's so much information, so many trades happening. Um, Uniswap model is very simple. It's every single person interacts with a contract. They're going to make one trade and they're going to walk away. They're going to just swap something. That's why it's called Uniswap. I'm swapping from one value to the other, and then I'm walking away. I paid a fee. Whereas trading is probably people trying to make a living, trying to make profit, make the market more efficient, doing arbitrage and all that stuff. Um, and now there are arbitrage opportunities in Uniswap, but the average trade is much slower because each one is going into the blockchain, registering an event, telling the rest of the world, and then there's front running and all that stuff that comes in there. So it seems like there's three parties here. There's um, the depositor, and the creditor. Uh, and then there's somebody providing liquidity to the market. Is that correct? 
Yeah, yeah. There's there's someone. There's a smart contract that is a protocol, and then there are people that um, need to use a service to swap or trade or take the liquidity, and then there's the person who makes the market who makes the liquidity, and his incentive is I will make an ROI. Uh, possibly I'll get some staked value on top. Like in Uniswap, you get you get an LP position and you're t- you're getting an interest rate on that based on how much your liquidity is used. So if, if the liquidity is used up, you're making pretty good ROI. Uh, they also had governance tokens that they gave out and those go up and down in value. So you're actually getting more, um, more residual income than just base interest rate on your liquidity itself. Uh, and then the per- perp trading is there's a protocol that gets launched and there's it's two people it's one person that needs to trade to get value out or do make a living and the other person that's coming in that's just providing liquidity that maybe they want to sell you know maybe they they're trading their swing trading or something like that and they're thinking bitcoin's going to come down so let me put a buy order and walk away they're not making any real money on it they're trying to use it as a service but they're providing liquidity to the rest of the market so that's just like the traditional exchange model. Both of them exist in the, right. in the blockchain world. I just don't understand why you need the third party. Like if I want to send you, you know, let's say I want to send just Ethereum to you. Why do I need the third party to provide liquidity? Oh, you don't. No, you don't. Oh, but okay. if, if you were to try to convert that, um, you can actually automatically route through the smart contract that it will go to Uniswap, swap your token to USDT and get that out to them. And so, you oh, so somebody has to provide liquidity in the USDT. That's where you can actually do a swap. Yeah, and yeah, then they it, get a fee for providing that liquidity. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's uh, all it, there. It's it's like Lightning Networks, but done on chain, basically. Mm. And now, if you do this on layer two and layer three, it makes sense. Doing it on layer one doesn't make sense, right? Because mm-hmm. because uh, if everyone's using the same layer, it doesn't really make too much sense for scale. Right. Um, where Polygon and some of these other guys are going towards, and our plan as well, is to have Syscoin is kind of like this decentralized sort of um, settlement layer with with data built in for the layer twos, and then having a decentralized ZK-based uh, secondary layer that is where most of the transactions start to, most of the smart contracts start to get launched. And layer threes coming out as a tree structure where the individual use cases are set up, like a perp trading deck or, um, you know, some sort of metaverse or a GameFi use case like Samsung, Microsoft, they want to trial their own ecosystem with their own millions of users. They would not want to have this probably on, on a layer that's shared because of uh, it won't scale the same. They'll have their own system. They'll have their own layer three. It's their own blockchain, but it's securing itself using the layer two sharing composability as well, this liquidity. And that's all shared with shared security on layer one, which is shared with Bitcoin itself. Um, and that, and in order for us to really get to that scale, we're going to have to break these problems up and not put them all like on one layer, like trying to do like Solana is trying to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and even there's a proposal on Bitcoin for um, ZK rollups on Bitcoin now um, to create validity proofs right on Bitcoin. Um, I think they would need to introduce a new opcode for this, but um, the problem of doing it actually on Bitcoin is no one wants to, first, no one wants to spend Bitcoin for this stuff. Everyone wants to just hold. That's the use case. The second use case, second problem is it doesn't have the concept of data availability. 
Like if I was to try to exit that roll up on Bitcoin, I would need to prove to Bitcoin that I actually own value in it. In order to do that, I need to post that data to Bitcoin. There's just not enough data available on Bitcoin for you to exit in a sensible way um, fast enough. Mm. If, if, if that roll up provider or the roll up network shut down, you got to avoid the custody part, right? You got to avoid the situation where the money is stuck in order for you to make it censorship resistant. Um, that data has got to live somewhere and uh, that's the trick. And so all we did was we took that concept and we built a very efficient data model on top of Syscoin. So when you're a layer two or you're a ZK roll up or whatnot, you take just the minimal amount of data per transaction, which is a few bytes and you throw that into the data layer and that anyone can get access to, they build up their own proofs if they want to be able to exit that system. And that's, that's just the way to scale up. Like there's no better way that we know of to really scale up um, mm. in order for us to get economies of scale. Every web two tech uh, that's been successful has found a way to get economies of scale. Um, the cheaper, the more people that enter it, mm -hmm more amortized the costs have to get and the cheaper it has to get mm. um if it gets more and more expensive mm. then there it, there's a there's a there's a sunk cost model that ends up over it ends up there's a few people that take advantage of that and uh, they will game the system and the fees will price out the 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 regular people so i got a little rant here you've inspired mm. um going back to one of my theories from before when we look at um Secretary uh, Bryan, who served under uh, Woodrow Wilson, and he stepped down over various concerns of war, et cetera, et cetera, dealing with central banking, et cetera, et cetera. I covered it in my book, The Patriot Report. What that happened was there's a, a certain amount of financial ignorance that he held. And Alexander talks about that too. And we started talking about finance. There's a lot of jargon. There's a lot of education that people need to have to understand this. And the fact that people don't understand the financial jargon is the reason why they're able to pull the wool over our eyes and be able to pull tricks and shames and scams. With that being said, freedom comes with responsibility. If you want to have money freedom, you're going to have to be responsible for your money because in the past or the legacy system was the bank was responsible for your money. Now leads me to my last point that I wanted to make is when we start dealing in the future or the dystopian future, whatever we're calling it, what you'll find is let's say we have two groups, the left and the right. What you'll find is the left will be dealing in legacy systems, central banking, et cetera, et cetera. And the right We'll be dealing in cryptocurrency, crypto language, crypto uh, communications, everything will be crypto. What you're going to find is that in order to be free, you're going to be, you're going to need to be extremely digitally knowledgeable. Not only that, being digitally knowledgeable is going to be common amongst the free people. So the conversation we have now where it's going over your head, the people in the future, this is going to be basic, basic language to them. It's going to be rudimentary. It's a knowledge economy, right? We're entering into knowledge economy where if you have knowledge, you're going to be useful. Therefore, it's going to be pressure to become more knowledgeable about aspects that you need in your daily life. It's just, and, it's just how it goes. 
Exactly. Exactly. So for the people that want to be sovereign, the people that want to be free, this is the type of education you'll need. I'll be at Decentricon Miami uh, at the end of November, same week as Art Basel. What is that? The 27th to the 28th, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. 27th to the 28th. I'll be hosting the stage with Jag. Uh, Jack will be on there. I'll be hosting. We're going to be talking about scalability and uh, scalability in the cryptocurrency space, which is very important because we want to be able to handle the transactions that people may have between their various economies and products and games, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, also for financial services. Um, now, Jack, you mentioned before that you wanted to pick up where we left off from our last conversation. If you guys haven't heard our last conversation, you guys could watch that. Jog my memory. Where did we leave off on the last conversation? Oh, we we were just saying that in order for us to really get this um, responsible building thing underway, we would need to figure out economies of scale, um, and that's going to like for me, it's a non-starter to even think about custody, right? Because of all these problems we're seeing is all custody. Like go back to we're cavemen. We have rocks. We want to trade. We want to barter. You have some rocks, I have some rocks, or you need my rocks because you value them, they're shiny, and, and you can buy something. Someone else will accept them from you. Um, so if if I introduce a third per- person there and say, okay, you hold my rocks for me, just make it easy for me because I could just tell you to pay him, right? I'll, I'll tell you to pay, and he'll cover you, right? But no, I'm the guy with the rocks, and no one knows what I'm doing with my rocks. So he ends up becoming the shady bank banker, right? Um, and that's custody, right? We got to remove that. And so we're the Templars. The Templars actually practice this. Yeah, and everyone. It all goes back to when we used to trade rocks. We used to get into, and then we moved on to gold and silver. We gave receipts on gold and silver, and and those people did shady things like shave off um, the gold and silver, even the coins. The, the ridges on the coins are there because. People used to shave them off and coin, give them. It's and, called coin clipping. Coin clipping, yeah. yeah. And so every situation you see where custody gets involved, there's always uh, shitty dealings. In order for us to solve that, we, we couldn't. Before cryptography, sure, you can make a cryptographic message that I own something, but that doesn't mean anything if uh, if there's no consensus that the ordering of all the events are correct. And that's what, the blo- what, what Bitcoin gave to us is like, okay, if everyone's trading rocks, now everyone can agree on the order of events as well, and it's all timestamped. And now you don't need to trust that guy in the middle. I can still hold all my rocks. The next step would be, okay, this is really hard to use uh, because I have to have intimate knowledge of signing a cryptographic message. Let me start making it easier. And so you then you get the non-custodial wallets that start to make it a little bit easier. We need two or three direct, um, innovations or abstract layers on top of that to keep it non-custodial, but make it really easy for you and migrate migrate all that stuff with the rest of your life. And that's the sort of stuff we're working on on the wallet level to make it really simple, almost like a WhatsApp type of experience where all, you could do all of your um, encrypted messaging and video chatting and sending each other payments for barter or whatnot. It's got to be as easy as that, but it's got to have that security behind it. Otherwise, um, we end up in a custodial solution and then all the problems um, that that accompany those. Uh, what wallet do you suggest people use for uh, Syscoin? Uh, we're making we're making a few. I, I think one was called um, Poly, which is a Chrome extension wallet, and it's like you're on Firefox or Chrome, and you click a button in the in the extension, and it pops up just like MetaMask. 
Um, and that one it would offer Bitcoin, Ethereum, Syscoin, any Bitcoin type chain, any Ethereum type chain. Um, and it's um, it's different because we open sourced it. It's fully open source. It's uh, one of the only wallets that would allow you to do Bitcoin and Ethereum open source and uh, have hardware, uh, hardware wallet support as well as um, BIP, BIP32 and change address philosophy on Bitcoin. Because not most of the wallets, they say, no, let's make it super easy. Let's just reuse the addresses. Well, that's not quantum safe either. Because if someone, uh, you know, they just announced a 256-bit quantum computer, we're getting to the point where someday, um, you know, having a change address strategy is going to pay off on, on Bitcoin. So for us, um, we weren't willing to uh, sacrifice that on Bitcoin and Syscoin. If you're keeping those on the UTXO chain, you should automatically have a, a change address strategy, but still has to be easy to use. So we did a lot of work so that you you abstract a lot of those concepts and like you're using Bitcoin and you're sending it and your wallet is showing your balance, but behind the scenes, it's shuffling the coins across different addresses every time you send, but you don't really have to care. Um, that That is uh, poly. And then the next step from there is uh, decentralized web platforms, like what Jack of Twitter is saying he's doing with Zion, right? And Twitter, uh, Elon wants to do the one wallet for them all, right? It has shopping in there, has everything in there. Um, and, and Jack was saying he wants to do Zion, which is uh, Bitcoin Lightning Networks and just Bitcoin. That's it, right? Um, we take it one step further and say, okay, we have a web, uh, a web platform. It has your chat, your video, your barter. It has your DAP interaction, even has... Um, hardware wallet connectivity and you could do lightning networks or you could do layer two layer three you could do this automatic swap system of telling you um, we could add compliance solutions in there so you could do remittance uh, all, all these things are the next step above what what jack's been thinking about zion this is kind of an innovation towards the evm side to make it even better um, and there's a few things that are coming up on ethereum that are going to improve usability by 10x um, that we need those two or three levels of abstraction before the, like you're saying, becomes the average Joe can say, I can appreciate the security and, uh, but I don't appreciate the complexity. Um, so are you saying that I'd be able to create my own le a layer three coin or token? I mean, if you're a big enough business and you have a number of users, sure. And it's going to be easier and easier for you to do that. Uh, with this, you, but with this technology you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, th this is the wallet, right? This would be your, using your wallet to be able to hide the complexity. Uh, it's a web platform. It would be um, as simple as using uh, WhatsApp to to do everything you need. Um, but right. that's I was just saying an example, that's where we need to get to because none of the wallets today uh, are hiding enough um, or they're exposing too much information. It's too complex. Right. And so going back to the rock example of, if I can make a cryptographic proof that you you um, uh, that I own my rocks, and then I have messages being sent around and ordered that I sent you some money, and now rightfully the rock is yours, but it's still in my hands. You can move that rock at any given at any time later on because rightfully that guy owns it. Mm -hmm. He has that event. He has that message. Um, so having an an experience around that is the hardest part because then it needs to track the changes and all that stuff and still make it easy for you without that middle guy. Um, and that's the trick is, is to try to find that trade-off of it has to be secure and decentralized and you can't, you can't move away from that. Uh, the keys have to be fully secured and quantum safe and all that stuff. 
But on the other hand, the average Joe has to um, not know what's happening or not care what's happening. It's, it's securing them. That's our form of investor protection is making it secure, but still protecting them without them knowing, but we got their backs. Like it's happening behind the scenes and we're not moving off of, and let's create these keys with a couple of word phrases or your email address. Like some blockchains are doing like, let's use your email address as a seed. Uh, yeah, it's very convenient, mm. but it's also not very secure. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're using Google 2FA or something like that. So right. yeah, right. It, we're thinking about it in terms of, we are not willing to move off of security and decentralization, but we, agree and acknowledge that we need the email level sign up um, usability. Absolutely. Um, I think we covered a lot today. Is there anything that we missed? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was originally saying like, there's there's so much on FTX, but I, I think we covered most of it. For me, um, I, I feel like the governments are kind of at a flight or fight moment right now uh, with the economies and I, and again, like it boils down to um, even the Dodd-Frank Act around 2008, 2009, they they prevented uh, that that act prevents um, people from exiting in mass the banking system. Why did they do that? Because they, they knew that um, in events like this, if they print a whole bunch of money and the money actually leaves, it creates inflation. And so they printed so much that 1% now uh, is easier to move out now that there's all, actually alternatives like crypto. Um, and that scares them to death. So Dodd-Frank actually legally prevents someone from moving 50, they, they can lock 50% of your bank balance just like that for contagion reasons or whatever the bank decides. Um, and that's scary because at, at some point, you know, the governments could go to JPM and all these big banks would like just enact Dodd-Frank and stop everyone from exiting uh, to keep that, that ratio balance on. Um, in the end, it's not going to be enough. Uh, and I feel like these sort of the protections from uh, top down are not going to be enough and we're um but we still have to think about responsibilities like i don't i don't want to create something where everyone's evading tax and not paying for the roads and the utilities and services but at the same time um the the, the benefits you get the 100 year picture uh will, will far outweigh the cons uh, if you remove custody and you make it scalable without with removing custody so basically what you're saying is uh, the government's in a panic and uh, measures like Dodd-Frank are sort of a patchwork of, you know, it's it's a it's a very um, fragile dam, so to speak, to yeah. try and stop bleeding. But it's uh, yeah. they're yeah, still exactly. going to experience leaks at some point and the dam could could break. Right. It's very fickle, especially. Well, particularly because of cryptocurrency, they can't stop that. Yeah, crypto is, is 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 a viable opt out, and that's why people Bitcoiners call it Plan B because it's an opt out strategy, right? It, it gives the user the the user is the one in power here, right? That not the not the government, and you, the government creates the illusion that they're in power, but it's all about um, if if enough people decide, I will not pay my tax in this currency, or I will not vote in this person who thinks I should be taking fiat, or I should not. Uh, hold my money here because I want to pay my I want to buy bread with this thing. Uh, the other guy will accept it, right? Because that's what you want. So it's it's all about the market, and they can't stop that. But with the gold and silver, it there was no viable opt out strategy because it was a paper market. It's not 
Right. Uh, you try storing a ton of gold, it's not going to work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is the first time we see an actual opt-out. And n- none of the none of the derivatives or debt markets or anything actually leave the system. Um, I tweeted about this today and I was, I was asking, is there any metrics out there on how much money has actually left? Is crypto that proxy of money that's actually left the system, which is the only way the supply would uh, expand? The mon- monetary supply is not expanding if the money's not leaving the system. It's just a bunch of IOUs being sent across to each other. And it's a, it's a claim on interest rate. That's all it is. If if you don't leave the system, you can print as much as you want. But that's why I was saying if you if you lose one percent of that because of the way that the fractional lending system works, you're hooped. But as, as long as you retain the one percent, you can print print as much as you want. Because there's nothing risk. to leverage. There's no opt out. There was no opt out. What I'm saying is, um, there was nothing to leverage. Yeah, right. It's nothing to leverage. You know, if if we if we opt out. Right. right. Whereas there's less to leverage because, you know, that's basically what the fractional uh, system is, is about. Right. Um, OK, now I lost my train of thought. Um, OK, yeah, no, that's pretty interesting. Um, OK, so. As I try to um, bring my thoughts back to what you were saying, so we went um, Dodd-Frank um, liquidity to, then um, people opting out in the system. Oh, oh, yes. Okay, I remember now. Um, gold. Everybody's talking about, oh, you know, gold, 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 gold. And I think some people are buying IOUs on gold. They're not buying actual gold. Yeah, well, JPM is the one that's storing it for you and doing an IOU, sell sell it to you on the COMEX market. And um, it's... It, it, you're not opting out by just owning gold and not taking physical delivery. You got to take physical delivery. Right. But then even if you're storing it in vault, you're not um, actually opting out there. Right. Because uh, that's still in the banking system because it could be repatriated. Right. From away. So technically if a bank run happened systemically, they could just go to the vaults and be like, Oh, we need to confiscate all the gold and sell it on the market for market rate to cover our, uh, our credit to debt ratio to make sure that we, we retain the 1% mm-hmm. uh, for the credit markets to keep working. But if you take physical delivery, the money is left. It's, it's, it's stored in your backyard. Um, but the, the 1% is it's insane amount that you, that, that that's never going to happen. Right. And so that was never a, um, it was a scare like back in 2008, 2009, it was a viable scare because the, the money, there was a lot less money out there to hit 1% uh, with gold and silver, it was getting quite easy, especially when it shot up to 2000 bucks. And then Soros kind of had to talk it down there um, by deleveraging the market. And then it tanked to like a thousand bucks the next day. It was crazy. But I remember they're um, very scared. They're very scared. And, uh, and, and the big banks like JPM were giving free reign to kind of short the market. Um, and it was, it was a GATA, the, the company that oversees the manipulation on the gold silver market. Um, came out and, and gave a bunch of reports, but it was all a conspiracy because it couldn't be proven. Those are all proven now. Uh, 10 years down the road, they actually came back and laid a bunch of fines. And it, the GATA was proven correct this whole time. Like it just wasn't conspiracy. And proved what? Well, that there was actual manipulation on the markets. Uh, they were selling 
open contracts more than the amount of supply of gold and silver even existed mm. on certain days. Um, so that just shouldn't have been allowed, but that the government mandate top down to control the confidence of the economy, right? Because if you lose control over the gold and silver market, uh, it's a proxy of fear. And because uh, if, if people exit with gold and silver buried in the backyard, again, if you go over 1% of the monetary base, uh, you lose access to being able to fund your debt. Uh, in my mind, right? the 1% is that magic number. Uh, if given a long enough time, you're, you're done. So they said, okay, if it's a fear proxy, let's control that market. And nobody's taking physical delivery anyway. Stuff's too heavy, so it's fine. It stays within within the banking system at that point. Um, it was not. What's his name? Peter Schiff. Yeah, yeah. He's the gold guy, right? He's the the gold bull. What's mm-hmm. his What's his argument? If you you know, what do you think his argument would be uh, towards your rhetoric? He thinks. Um, um, he, I don't think he understands cryptography enough, but he thinks that it's a, in the broad sense, it's a custodial solution, Bitcoin. Because in the end, there's miners and you can't control their outcome and the government can ban it. And as soon as it's banned, no one will want to use it. There's fear. They can instill fear in the market. They can kill that mental, um, uh, the FOMO that you get by trying to own Bitcoin. Um, the pro- proponents or legacy proponents of Bitcoin, the OGs, We'll never buy into that, but how many OGs are there? And there is there enough for that system to survive in the event that all the governments combine and start throwing people in jail? That's his argument. Mm. Given enough pressure for a regulation, I'd rather be holding gold in my backyard stored and saved. I mean, the Peter Schiff is very uh, knowledgeable about the system and he understands the problems because the gold bugs were the first to think about after 2008, 2009, and even before that, after the dot-com bubble, what what all this meant for the future of the economy. They got it before the Bitcoin people, the crowd came around, right? And so they're kind of like the fathers of all of this understanding, realization that we need to do something. And so he's he's thinking it's not, in the event of shit hits the fan, if the internet goes down, what good is Bitcoin if I don't have the physical thing there? Uh, and he just hasn't gone around to the fact that as long as someone is storing it and someone is mining it, at least one person, the thing is going to be around and kicking. So now there's satellite internet and there's different ways to connect. Um, there's different ways to press that button and send or receive. Um, that's his, his, maybe his, well, his argument to me sounds like it would raise the value of Bitcoin. Right. Cause if the government started shutting down miners then miners become an underground thing. And we know what happened was the black market, the black market, you end up paying more for things sometimes, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you have- I mean, it depends on the person, like uh, the broad, like when you're controlling such a large narrative and you're talking about um, protecting an economy of a quadrillion dollars, um, it doesn't really matter if, uh, if, if there's a few people using it, who cares? Let them let the cesspool keep running around in circles. Mm. But if the retail market and the average people start to opt into that, it gets scary, right? Because that it's yeah. a viral effect. And the viral effect is an exit, a, a net negative for the existing status quo. That's the problem. Um, so, you know, for him, he's just like, that's such a big 
claim to lay mm -hmm. that this is the end. Mm -hmm. um, and for him, he's been studying gold and silver for 30 years that for them him that was the end it's hard for him to give up on that you know give up on all of that and say oh there's a new end game for me now and it's crypto it's not gold and silver uh, it's hard it's almost yeah. like if ethereum came and said this is the new end game to bitcoin maxis and bitcoin max would be like what are you talking about like i've studied this more than you blah blah, blah. i know more than you right. um yeah, Ethereum maxis are the new school, and they're saying no. This is the end game. Um, so it's 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 here. It's it's all a confidence model. But in the end, for me, um, uh, decentralization uh, matters more, and the fact that I can send and receive easy enough. I don't need to pay a vault vaulting fee. And 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 what about uh, the uh, theory of? Uh large organizations like BlackRock manipulating the price of Bitcoin and or hedging their bets and saying, you know, okay, we got to hold because they hold Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. They're definitely like they're controlling the narrative to the stable coin market now, um, pushing U.S. bonds. This is a, a way for the U.S. to impose its will in the crypto and in, in the global power structure. Uh, if U.S. bonds are behind all the stable coins, it becomes their funding vehicle to keep their power structure alive, which is what I was saying before. Like there's a, they're butting heads with China right now. Um, don't think for a second that China just wants to ban this stuff. They're, they are talking it down so that they can accumulate and have enough. Right. That, I mean, they, what do you, uh, there's nothing more decentralized than, than the Bitcoin network right now. And they understand that I'm sure they tried to shut it down and they couldn't. Yeah. Uh, so U.S. trying to go down the way of stablecoin and USDC and USDT and backing that with U.S. bonds, you don't even need to do a stablecoin anymore. You, you, for you, for government, they don't care about K, KYC, AML, investor protection. They're trying to keep their power alive and, and, and keep that uh, ratio power higher than anyone else. For them, that's the end game is to be the first world, be the best place to live in, have the most money, where the most wealth is. Um, in order to do that, you you have to keep keep that at the top. China's right there. Mm. So. Mm. Powerful conversation. Ladies, I know ladies and gentlemen, I know you've seen this man's face. I'm playing the uh Syscoin uh commercial before all of my streams. Now you get to uh, hear the conversation live with him. Now this is uh, Jack Deep Sidhu. Did I say the name right? Yep. Yeah, it's fine. Is it fine or did I say it wrong? Uh, I just say Jag is fine as well. Or is Jack, Jack Deep? Jack Deep's fine. All right. You do it I, what about the last name Sidhu? I'm particular. Sidhu. Who? Sidhu. Yeah, it's Sidhu. Fine. Okay. Yeah. I you know I'm particular about names. You know, so like I yeah, don't want to yeah. I don't want to mess somebody's name up. What's your name? Yeah. Yeah, I want I want to make sure I'm saying somebody's name right, just in case somebody needs to look you up and get involved, whatever, whatever. But this is Jag, ladies and gentlemen. Um, shout out to Syscoin, sponsor this channel. We appreciate Syscoin. This has been a wonderful stream. Make sure you guys uh, subscribe over on Rumble. Shout out to my Rumble people over there. Shout out to my uh, my YouTubers. We appreciate you. Hit the subscribe. All of our um, uncensored content will be on Rumble. I got Scott Horton coming on soon. That's going to be a, a Rumble exclusive, so he can talk frankly about foreign wars and all of that conspiracy stuff. Uh, so look out for that. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you for tuning in.
Hotep. See y'all next time. The first use case you think of a blockchain is payments, right? So that's the first thing you want to you want to do is show that you can secure a payment mechanism, just like Visa, Mastercard, but much more secure without middlemen, take away the fees, uh, offers economies of scale. So the more people use it, the cheaper it gets. The, the way we view the future of value in the long term, three to five to ten years, we view layer one blockchains will essentially become like the new republics. These will be the new mechanisms where all the value is going to proliferate to the future. There'll be the layer one blockchains, there'll be the mining market, there'll be the dApps, and there'll be tokens. So the lower you get in the stack, the uh, lower risk you have, but the lower rewards. The highest risk reward will be on the layer one blockchains, because that's where all the value will, 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 will flow up. But it's highest value, highest risk. We view layer one blockchains, which is Bitcoin, Cisco, Ethereum, as court systems. They need to be combative to the external forces that we don't control, even in the software world, in the real world, like inflation, hyperinflation, wars. These systems need to be secure from that. And this is why we view Bitcoin as the gold standard for security and decentralization. What else does the world need? You know, what else does the world cherish when you have something like Bitcoin? How can we extend that to something else where we can take advantage to build real world utility? This is where Ethereum comes in. For me, Ethereum is a gold standard for flexibility or general computation. We're trying to stick to the gold standards we know the world's going to cherish and, and develop on, and we put those two concepts together. And this is what Cisco is.